You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. After laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead and pull up a chair. Hey guys, welcome to the after laugh. I'm here. I'm so excited tonight. First of all, it is night. It is after midnight. I'm here with my buddy, who I met in New Zealand, Joe White, comedian Joe White. You! And uh, we met in Australia. <laughs> oh, shit, that's right. Oh, God, why did I say New Zealand? That's right. Okay, Australia, we met in Australia. We have some funny stories from Australia. I talked about one of them in the podcast. Uh, yeah. nice. I talked about, remember I got pulled over for swerving and speeding and all that shit? Yeah, and I told you to slow down and you didn't listen? You didn't listen? And the yeah. cop pulled me over and was like, hey, can I see y'all? License and registration, you know, and I was like, oh, sorry, we have a show. And we're, we were in Perth, where were we going? No, we were in Adelaide. Uh, we were in Melbourne going to Adelaide. Adelaide. Yeah. And I was like, well, I have a show. He says, why? Are we, I was, we have a, we're doing a comedy show and, and, uh, and we're just running late. Sorry about that. So he, he takes my ID. He goes back to his fucking car. He's back there with his partner. They're like looking at something, probably like five minutes, right? Five, ten minutes. He was on YouTube looking they at come, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, he comes back. He goes, he goes, so uh, you're recently single? <laughs> I go, uh, yeah, why? He goes, well, I saw your bit. They, they watched my say single bit. I was like, well, did you, did you like it? Like, well, you're not going to get a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> so he gave, me a war- he gave me an official warning. Yeah. I still have the paper. It's like, official warning, don't yeah. speed. And then we drive away. It was silent for a while. And all of a sudden, you're like... That's the most white privileged shit I've ever seen in my fucking life. Yeah. <laughs> the most, you know, the funniest part about that experience is before you got pulled over, what was I saying to you? I was going, I was telling you about white privilege and <laughs> how you are like the pig. You know, if I looked at you, I'd assume, well, this guy gets a lot of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you're like, nah, man. Nah, man. It's no myth. such thing. <laughs> and, and then I look at the, the, uh, the speed. You're doing like 120 or something. And I'm like, yo, slow down. <laughs> and you're like, no need. And then, Roo! and you're like, oh, shit. I saw the panic in your eye. Yeah, I know. You were, you were, you were like a, a, a little girl. <laughs> I saw how Because I thought we were going to miss the show. I thought we were yeah. detained or something for reckless you. and all that shit. You went from like big, tough American Bill to, oh, <laughs> we're getting pulled over. Oh, shit. Locked oh, up abroad. <laughs> and then uh, and he comes over and, uh, and he said, look, I have to give you this piece of paper. I remember it very well. But you don't have to pay it. But because the camera in the front is watching the whole thing, yeah. I have to give you this paper. Yeah. But you don't have to pay it. It's just a warning. And then you went, oh, I'm so sorry, officer. My friend's from here. He can drive. And then he looked in at me and he goes, he can't do any worse. <laughs> you remember? Yeah. I remember he looked at you like, this, like, this black privilege. dude. Joe's black, by the way, in case you guys missed that. Ethiopian Australian. So, Joe, your story is a fucking crazy story, man. And I'm sure you've probably said it to death in podcasts and interviews. But when you're driving across the entire fucking country of Australia with something, you get to hear their stories. And um, so I want a primer. I want a refresher and tell the tell the people listening. what. So you, you're originally born in, uh, you're born in Sudan? Yeah, so I'm Ethiopian, um, born in Sudan, and then raised Here's a good in- joke for you, like, uh, uh, I was uh, I was born in Sudan, but I grew up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it'll kill. Trust me, it'll kill. Just say it. Okay. All right, I'll try. And then when I bomb, I'll it say, bomb. "Hey, Bill, it'll bomb. Um, never help me." Yeah. So my name's Joe. I was born in Sudan, but I grew up anyway. 
<laughs> it'll, it'll fucking murder. Trust me. All right, I will. Because um, last time uh, you gave me that. What? What did that, I, I give you? A that joke? bit when we were having dinner in Adelaide, me, you, and Mars, uh-huh. and then you were like, and then I said, uh, I said something about um, audience members heckling me, and then you said, you. Look, I said, roast me, Bill, and I'll use it on stage, and then you went, you look like everyone that's ever won a marathon. <laughs> And then I laugh. I'm like, can I use that? And you're like, if you want. And then I, I do, and it kills every time. <laughs> so your track records. And good. you have that bit, like you see me on TV. Yeah, the World Vision one. The World Vision, like UNICEF in America. That's how we'd probably know it. Oh, okay. and you just stand there, like fly, swatting flies away. Yeah, because that's great. the thing. When you know uh, my material from Australia, I have to uh, go through that, filter it. Mm. And change the references. If really? I did the World Vision joke here, you won't get it because you, yeah, you just don't find know whatever, whatever the, the f- feed that UNICEF or there's something here, you know, some yeah, fucking, whatever the program is in America. I don't know. What it is. So I'll probably want, yeah, I'll probably want um, to start with that bit. So so you you grew up in Sudan and and I was in this Sudan is a fucking age of crazy Europe. story. So just mm-hmm. like walk people through Sudan and then fleeing Sudan ultimately because. When you told me that story, I, it, it blew my fucking mind. I mean, it's 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 room for a, a one-person show or a movie or something. It's I was amazing. just telling you because we were in the car for eight hours. Yeah. We ran out of things to talk about. Said, oh, we might as well talk about <laughs> our background stories, you know? Yeah, and you were like smiling. You're smiling, telling the story? Jesus Christ. Yeah. So what I remember is um, – uh, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm going to pin this for a second. We just – we just uh, I just did Chocolate Sundays at the Laugh Factory, mm. which is a very, very – popular uh, urban show read black show urban um and uh you do two shows for the night i think you make like 20 bucks a show it's fucking retarded anyway um but it's an amazing they have an amazing lineup so the mc for the second show was earthquake yeah who is he has a netflix special out called legendary he's one of those guys that you know in, in the in the in any circuit but in the black circuit everyone fucking knew this guy he was legendary he was an og but now he's in his like probably late 50s he's he's blown up which is really cool yeah it's never too late eh? um but after the show and i didn't tell you this after the show he's like yo man i want you to do my radio show yo i was Congrats. like yeah and then then you start thinking i don't want to say anything to fuck it up but okay yeah he would take this number and call this guy tell him, tell him you want to do quick show sick when is it did he tell you give you dates i mean first of all no yeah second of all like will anything happen from it maybe not <laughs> But you never know. You I never mean, know. I'm open to it. You how know long have I mean? you known Earthquake for? Why? I met him tonight. Oh, really? Yeah. His introduction made it sound like he's known you since birth, you know? No, he's fucking with me. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's like, this guy, he's my brother, man. I love this guy. I've yeah. never met him Everybody yet. get yourself a white friend. That- I told you. <laughs> this one's mine. <laughs> I was like, wow, Bill. <laughs> You've known Earthquake all your life. Yeah, man. It's so you fucking just funny. met him tonight. Holy smokes. Yeah, I have a whole bit. I did a... Um, whole bit about tony rock i went to his um shout out to tony rock awesome dude awesome comic you know tony right you know, yeah i watched him close at the life factory He's on fucking, tuesday great so he um ruby Tuesdays. he had a birthday party and they're gonna go to the club and he's walking out and say, hey hey bill dollars why'd you come i was like oh shit yeah i got invited finally so i go to, i go to the <laughs> i go to like the, the black club That's and like what with like if you're the white guy at the black club Rule is just don't do anything. Don't raise the roof or try to start dancing or try to like tell stories. Just, just fucking be there. Drink the Hennessy, have fun, nod, just nod at people and just kind of like slow jam a little bit. And I was dancing with this girl. That's all I did. Afterwards, I was like, man, Bill, you cool shit, man, man. Thanks for coming, dog. Thanks for coming. 
This one guy was like, hey, if you ever need anything, man, you let me know. We'll take care of it. I was like, cool. Mm. Is that Tony Rock said that? Uh, yeah, Tony Rock said that. And then another guy came and said, hey, man, you cool, man. Anything you need, anything, man, you let me know. We'll take care of it. And then I'm like, is something going to fucking happen to me? Like, why the <laughs> fuck are they, are they warning me? <laughs> when I was driving I home, I was like paranoid. And then I got pulled over by a cop. So I called up Tony. He's like, hey, Tony, man, I got pulled over by the police. Hello? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Stupid joke. Um, black people don't like the cops. Um, all right. So anyway, yeah, that was that was Chuck Sunday, and it was it was you know we, you saw both shows. The first show, you know, I, there, there are certain jokes I, I come out like pretty. I don't know. I don't know if I come out hard, but I, I have three jokes in a row that are very very that piss off women. I think you come out hard. <laughs> I've been honest. Yeah, no, I know. You know, I feel the second show you didn't come out hard straight away. The first, uh, the second show, the first show you came out hot. Well, because right? I did the thing. I said, um, I said, uh, I said, COVID. You know, I hate the masks, not because they're uncomfortable. Just I couldn't tell if a girl was hot or not. I said, like, don't judge me. I'm just saying, when I met a girl, I didn't know if I needed to treat her with respect. And then people, oh, I go, hey, <laughs> listen, before I hold this door open for you, won't you pull that mask down so I can tell if you're pretty or if you're a feminist. And they're like, oh, I go, no, no, I'm a male feminist, I'm a male feminist. It's good yeah. that men are getting feminism right, because women clearly can't do the job themselves. <laughs> Piss more away. And I go, oh, some of you bitches didn't like that joke. Oh, yeah, you know who hates the word bitches? Cunts. So that's like three in a row. Where you, and you see these women just like, I'm like, I got I, I to get yeah. back fucking women after that. So that second show, I was like, I'm not going to fuck with that. You're <laughs> ballsy, though. You don't want to alienate all the fucking women. Yeah, the ballsy move, though, coming out like that. <laughs> You gotta. I mean, for a show like how that, how many comics you, you know do that? Not many. You, you can't you, for a show like this. Is if, if anyone is interested in comedy and you ever want to do an urban show, and you're like the white guy on the urban show, mm. what I found is a key, which is why I'm I do pretty well. Oh, I, I, you know they use me here, is because they, they don't want someone who's like you're white. Yeah. They don't want like, yo 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 what's up dog hey yo man they don't want yeah. a guy who's trying to act black yeah. or pretending you know. Or, or, or start using black vernacular because, mm. or, or, or they don't want to be um, catered to. Yeah, you know they want they want you to if you have a joke that's r- r- racist maybe mm. and maybe where you're shitting on black people say it. They mm. want that. They don't really? want you to in that room. Hundred percent, dude. I feel like uh, they'll cut the mic and say, "All right, Bill, come to the green room." No, uh, dude. I used to do. I when I would do that room, I would go. I would do the hackiest, dumbest. But like fun, easy. You know, like I think my one of my first jokes I did that was so dumb was like talking about like dating. Like oh, you dating black guys? I was like hey, is it true they say about the brothers? Is it true they say? And I'm like pointing like down. Is it true they say? Yeah, bad credit. It's just a dumb, easy joke. But like yeah. just stuff like that. You, you know, I mean, I don't that's stereotyping. That's not necessarily being racist, is it? Well, that's a good question. Like, what's the difference between stereotyping and racing? Racist. Mm. Well, racing car. is you're in a car. That's true. Good call. You're in a car going 120, going <laughs> you to fucking... black guys are fast? <laughs> you're complimenting right now. You're not being racist. Yeah, exactly. If you make it, if you make the, if you, if you devalue yourself in, you know, I mean, anytime you make a big black dick joke, there, no one's mad. Oh, all right. This guy is cool. He gets it. <laughs> he gets it. He <laughs> After understands. the show, he gets it. <laughs> um, your right, second so set was fire, though. Wow. Yeah, it's actually, I'm, I'm trying to think what I did. I just, I just cut some things out, and I wanted to get to the accents quick. Yeah, and the crowd was hot as well. And, and the there crowd was, so was hot. Many of them compared to the first. Crowd. And then I knew that if if I got the accent thing and I could keep the energy going mm. through the accent bit, then I go into like it's about love. We should all 
heel races my fuck is someone from a different race what's up yeah. girl you know and do that and then i do the whole bit yeah you stuck to that bit you didn't take my advice which is great because it works really well doing it your way <laughs> well, what was your advice again um when you said to the girl or when you said mm, the way yeah. we bring people together is I we sleep with other races yeah and then you stuck with it make it about an audience member not me yeah that's a, that's yeah. a good call i'll probably do that in the future anyway so that was the show it was fun it's always fun to do that i was telling joe like i never ever get hit on by a black woman mm. after a chocolate Sunday show. Like, not even like, what's your IG or anything like that. Not like I'm tr- desperate for it, but I'm also, I'm a little bit like, really? But why? Do you want to be with a black woman? I mean, yeah. <laughs> why, why did you think about it? That's weird. But like, what you, it's what did your whole well, life I mean, flash well, before no, your eyes, Bill? I, I did. You I did, thought about your I credits, don't want to be with a black woman in the sense of like, I have a like a weird black fetish thing, mm. maybe. But my first girlfriend for a year was was black, and I had mm. I used to just that was kind of like my thing. Yeah. And then then you just get caught up in other relationships, and next thing you know, you're like, wait, I haven't dated a black girl in a long time. Yeah. I don't even know well, if they fuck with me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, did you know there's a lot of uh, black girls on Hinge, the app Hinge? I'm banned from every dating app. Why? Because I promote shows on it. And you're not allowed to promote shows. And people Why did you promote shows on it? Because it's a great way. If you, you promote get, shows? Absolutely. Well, in, putting it in your bio? Hey, I'm, in, I'm, I'm doing the Vegas Laugh Factory. I'm doing the fucking uh, here, here. Uh, hit me, DM me. For, if we match, DM me for tickets. And then I give them free sh- tickets. And a lot of women come. And sometimes they bring dates. They oh, bring wow. friends. Yeah. It's not like a date. They're just like, okay, it's an activity. Yeah. Sometimes you'll meet someone. I don't think I've ever dated anyone from that. But um, but just takes one woman to be like, that motherfucker. Mm. I thought it was a date. Mm. It was a show, a free show. And then he just left afterwards. And they fucking report me. <laughs> A band from Bumble, Tinder, Hinge, all of them, man. Can't get back in. I need a phone number or something. Anyway. Well, you cock-blocked yourself. I cock-blocked myself. That's what's happened. You are your own worst enemy. But I was getting like... Because Hinge has a lot of black girls on there. Like on a weekend, I would probably get like... I'd get like 40 people from the dating apps come to shows. What? Yeah. Yeah. You must have been super active. I mean, I wasn't having sex. You must have been (laughs) super spreader. No. (laughs) With your tickets. Afterwards, they're like, thanks for inviting me. I was like, yeah, you want to buy a t-shirt? And then they'd buy a t-shirt and leave like, what just happened? This guy just fucking dosy doed me. Uh, Anyway. So, uh, back to Joe White from the Sudan. (laughs) Ethiopian, born in Sudan, raised in Australia. Raised in Australia. (laughs) So, your your story from getting from Sudan to Australia is a fucking crazy story. Yeah. Why don't you tell people how that shook out? Well, firstly, I was raised um, by a single mum of six kids, right? Yeah. And, uh, and how, ma- s- how six many kids? How many different fathers? How many fathers? Yeah. One. One father. One father. And he, yeah. he just wasn't around. Um, so dad was dad was good until probably I was the age of uh, five, uh-huh. and then um, like so mum and dad fleed Ethiopia civil war to Sudan where they had us. God, Jesus! Uh, talk about out of the frying pan into the fire. Yeah, so imagine the you know generational trauma between two of them. It's yeah. like mum ran away from home when she was like maybe nine years old. You know, and what was she fleeing from? There was a regime change in Ethiopia. Or what was happening? Man, Ethiopia has had like a civil war for um, uh, twenty years or something. It's still happening. 
it ended and then it started again. Yeah. But they were having a war with neighboring Eritrea as well. Yeah. Um, and so that was what was going on forever. You know. What is the nature? Is it religious? What's the nature of the war? Is it just territory? Um, because everyone likes to think that war is like a, a symptom of like the patriarchy and white supremacy and shit like that. But people just like the war. <laughs> Everyone, there's well, wars. I mean, it, it's to do with a lot of things. There's a lot of divide, obviously, that happened in Africa, mm. uh, whether it be um, divide via, um, you know, cultural differences, because um, Eritreans speak different language to, uh, yeah. like in Ethiopia alone, there is, I think, about 400 different dialects or something. There's, it's 110 million people. Yeah. And, and you'd find that in different parts of Ethiopia, it's like different tribes, different language, and uh, sometimes, you know, they have their own TV stations. Yeah. Uh, and then when two neighboring different uh, tribes beef or they have disagreements, whether it be one tribe is in power and they feel that it, they're favoring their tribe and not the other tribe, then there is a rebelling that happens. Got and it. before you know it, uh, they're both really strong and they're both clashing one of them is the central government, but the other one was in central government. And while they were in central government, they were ready for something like this. So they yeah. got they got weapons. You know, yeah, they're perhaps. not. Yeah, they got connections as well. So they're not easy to take down just because they're not the central government. Sure. Um, and that's something that's happening at the moment. So the differences just boils over, and they, it's all about power at the end of the of day. Of course. Yeah. You know? Everything. Yeah. So, so that's been so going. So she fled Ethiopia and your dad fled? Dad fled Ethiopia as well. Oh, they were together when they fled? Yeah, okay. they met in like bordering Ethiopia and Sudan. Because okay. mom was always trying to leave Ethiopia. Yeah. She's always had this dream of uh, wanting to leave uh, Africa in general for the Western world to start her family there. Yeah. She didn't want to have kids in Africa. Sure. Because of just what she saw growing up. You know, her mom died when she was like, you know, eight. Did she see old. her mom die? Um, no, I don't think she no. saw her mom die. She was just sick. Yeah. Her mom was, was ill and she was nurturing her for a while when she was sick. So mom, mom was looking after her mom when she was sick. But then uh, dad just came and took her away. Yeah. And they didn't tell her what was going on. Yeah. And then she just got new stuff. Her mom is dead. Uh, and so her father, mom's father, my grandfather, was a traveling businessman. And when you're traveling, you know, he met a lady and he had family with that lady. And there was like maybe seven, eight of them. And took he took mum to that lady. But that lady didn't know about mum and oh, wow. uh, my mum's mum. But he said, this is my daughter. Her mother's dead. She needs to stay with you because I have to continue doing my business. And so mum stayed with her stepmom, but her stepmom hated her. Oh, God. And pretty much treated her like the way Cinderella, Cinderella was yeah. being treated. Absolutely. So, yeah. And this was at the age of like nine or something. Jesus. And then mom just said she's not going to take this anymore. And she just decided to run off mm -hmm. to try and find a better life at that age. And so along the way, she experienced a lot of uh, brutality from, yeah. you know, just a child, a female on the run. You, of you, course. You get tortured. Good God. Um, and then she made it to bordering of Sudan and Ethiopia. And she kept trying to cross over to Sudan. But in the process... Like, her life will be at risk and she has to come back. Jeez. And this kept happening and she couldn't get away. How would her life be at risk? Like, in what way? What do you mean? She'd try to cross and people would chase her? Or? Yeah, people try to kidnap. People try to rape you. Mm -hmm. um, 
and obviously there's uh, a lot of you know terrible things that happened to my mom but yeah. you know she tells me in confidence and it's not my place to tell sure, the yeah, world but I, I want to hear the full story of what happened to her you know yeah. someday I would like to share her story yeah uh, but that day is not it's not now but I can share um, what we went through like my story yeah so she, seen, so, she, 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 so she so she your mom was young when she had you young yeah 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 so when she met my dad in bordering of Sudan, Ethiopia. Then he promised her a good life in Sudan. And so they, he was in his late 20s. She was like bloody, you know, 14 or something when she met dad. Yeah. And so they went, they got married in Sudan and they started having kids. And there were six of us and we're all about a year and a half to two years apart. Wow. So from the age of like 15 years old, all the way until her 20s, mom was having kids. Wow. And then, uh, and you were living on the street. Well, not straight away. We yeah. were living. We were living in. A, we had a house. We even had a servant that was helping mum because uh-huh. she was a, a stay-at-home mum, and dad was working. Um, and then we had a babysitter that accidentally burnt our house down. Jesus. Yeah. So, and our house was this massive hut built of straws, but it was like massive. Yeah. And as soon as the fire touched it. Everything went up in oh flames. All our belongings, everything. How dead. old are you when this happened? Uh, I was probably about the six years old mark. Years old. Yeah. Um, all our belongings went up in flames. All mom's jewelry, assets, everything went up in flames. Good God. Some of my siblings were in the house already. So mom and the babysitter had to run in and grab them and get them out quickly. Dad came home from work and it's like everything's gone up in flames. Everything he's worked hard for. So I think that sent him down a path of depression where he started drinking. And the drinking got heavy to the point where he used to take me to get drunk with him. And at the time, I was only like maybe six or seven years old. I didn't even wear pants, man. I just had a shirt on. That's how young (laughs) I was. He'd be like, but you're a man. You need to come and have some drinks. I'm like, whatever. Let's go, right? And he used to give me um, this drink. And it was so sweet. And I used to just scull it. And this alcohol would be running down like my my neck and all oh over my, my shirt. And you will just hear me go. Ugh, 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 ugh. <laughs> I had a big ass belly as well. <laughs> so that's how you knew. Like I ate and drank everything, right? So as soon as he gave it to me, and it was so sweet. And you know, as a kid, when something is sweet, you just want more. Yeah. So I used to just drink it until my belly is like just cannot take any more. And then I should just get hammered and we'll go back home oh and I'll be pissing everywhere and I'll be going, Mom, I don't know what's... And I'll be crying Your and mom pissing. was pissed off. Oh, dude, Mom was like, what have you done to my child? And Dad will be drunk himself and he'll be like, he's a man, leave him alone, you know? <laughs> and she wouldn't and so he'll call me over and he'll go, here's a knife, go chase your mom. And I'll chase her around the house with a knife going, come here, and crying, pissing everywhere. <laughs> Oh my god, dude! That was that was me at like six or seven years old, <laughs> oh my god. right? And Dad used to he, we constantly just used to do that. That's how he dealt with the chaos. That Did he? Was that funny to him that you chased mom around with a knife, or was it like like hey s- stab this bitch? Like what yeah, was it? It was that. It Good was like god. you are a man. This woman needs to respect us. Go and deal with it. Wow. Um, and to me, he was like God. You know, so of I'll course, like, anything you want, I'll I'll do. And so I used to just chase her around and oh I'll hit my head on like a, a pole or something and pass out and I'll wake up with mom nursing me and like cleaning me up and I'm like, what happened? She'll be like, it's okay, it's oh okay. Oh my God. And dad will just be like, oh, he's a man, just let him be, you know? Good God. And then he used to make, another thing he used to do was 
he used to get me and my brother to sleep outside the house. Uh-huh. So he'll put our beds outside, he'll give us big knives, and he'll say, you guys are men, if anyone jumps over the fence, you have to protect us, right? And he'll sleep inside. <laughs> well, and this is some bullshit. <laughs> well, like, what are you Because sl- he's, he's like drunk sleeping inside. Yeah, so yeah. Me and my brother will be like, are you awake? Are you awake? Oh like, of course I'm awake. <laughs> so when did, how long uh, was this going on before your dad left? Um, so dad, dad, uh, bounced probably when I was about, um, he didn't stay long after the whole drinking incident, maybe seven or eight, I would say he would seven have gone. Eight, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and when he was gone, he was just gone, gone. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this, man, the, I haven't, the last time I saw my dad, I was about the seven, seven year olds, eight years old, Mark. And he was so pissed, got so drunk. It was about probably 3 a.m. in the morning. Uh-huh. And uh, we woke up because we heard screaming and uh, tried to see what's going on. We all woke up and dad had this big sword and he was swinging at mum. And mum was just running around our bed and she was screaming and telling him to stop. And she was pregnant with uh, my younger brother at the time. And then um, my uh, we all got up to help and dad was like, go back to bed. And we all went, oh shit, play dead. <laughs> we all play dead, right? Except. My older brother, he just like commander rolled out of the bed, uh-huh. this brave man, and he just snuck out of the house, uh, went and alerted the neighbors. The neighbors called the cops, and the cops don't play around. Yeah. They kicked that door down, put the gun on him, put him on the ground. We all went around mum, and they got his wallet out. And they're like, who's this guy? And she's like, oh, he's their father. And then the cop is like, do you want him? And she goes, no, he's hurting us. Can you get him away? Yeah. Never saw my dad again. Wow. And I'm, what, 36 now. Never saw him again. That was the last time I saw him. Well, what do you, what's your hypothesis? What do you think happened? Um, well, I asked mom what happened. She said, your dad's dead. I was like, okay, we'll just move on then. I guess no more drinking. Yeah, but <laughs> she said your dad, there wasn't like a funeral. There wasn't like a thing. There wasn't a grave. There was just like, yeah. he's dead. He's gone. She said um, the whole thing was your dad went to the military. So when the cops came and they took him, they took him to the military. And at the time, there was a civil war in Sudan between North and South. Yeah. So there was a, a thing where the government would take you and they'll give you a gun, give you a quick training lesson and send you up to fight. Wow. And so she said that's what they did to your dad and he's dead. He died at the war. And so wow. I was like, all right, we'll just continue with our life then. Yeah. And, and, s- and so when did you – but you had a home then. So how did you end up losing your home? Mm. So then um, there was a guy, like our neighbor, and he knew mum wasn't doing too well looking after us. To go from being, you know, stay-at-home mum to yeah. six kids to now being the provider as well, he Good said Lord. to her, look, there is a place outside here. It's outside um, Sudan, you know, the Western world. It's called America. There is a place called uh, Canada, Norway, Sweden, all this, never mentioned Australia. Yeah, He's like, you can go to these places. And you will have a better life with your kids. And she was like, well, how do I get to this place? Yeah. He's like, oh, there is this process at the United Nations. You have to go to the office and register. And mom's like, all right, I'll do that. So we sold everything, enough to pay for a trip to Sudan. We get to Sudan and we went, we registered. And then they go, oh, cool. Now you just wait four years. So for like four years, we're like, where you do had, we leave? You had no money, no home, what no do job. We do? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a, a single mom and, and six kids now. And uh, the only place that we could, like we felt safe, mom felt safe, was uh, the church. So during the day, we'll go inside the church, we'll pray. And at night, we will sleep outside the church. 
Yeah. And people knew we were homeless and stuff, but no one would help. So this went on for like two years. You know, where we so how were you getting food and how were you getting... So what mom... And this is the thing with my mom. She's, oh man, like a superwoman. Yeah. Incredible, incredible. My mother, like my relationship with my mother is not because of how we are in Australia. It's because of what I saw yeah. and what I remember when we were in Sudan at in times of crisis, how she handled it, right? So... What my mom would do is she will say, you have to work as a team. There's six of you. And remember, we're kids, but in Africa, that's not a child. You ha- you're forced you're to grow soldier. up early. Yeah. Like when I was, when I was eight years old, um, like I remember everything in Sudan. And I was what? Five years old maybe? Yeah. And I remember everything. Uh, I remember in Sud- in, in, when we were homeless, I remember what happened and you know how things played out. Um, what mom used to do to make money was she would buy, uh, firstly, we would beg. We would yeah. go around, we would beg people, you know, can you please help? Can you please help? And you can see a mom and six kids, some people help. Some people, a lot of people will try to take advantage of my mom because they can see she's in desperate situation and she's a beautiful woman. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, well, we'll give you some money, but you have to give us, you know, wink, wink. And their mom will go, no, 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 I'm a religious woman. I wouldn't do that. I'd yeah. rather beg or go through bins to feed my children. Um, or find ways, to, like try to get a job. So mom tried to get a job plenty of times. But like 49% of Sudan, according to like a report I read in 2019, is living under poverty. 49%. Yeah. Right? And their life expectancy is like in the, in the 50s or uh, 40s. Yeah. So it's pretty bad. So you're asking people in shitty situations to help you and they're like, well, I have to survive as well. Yeah. But there's some good people that saw that there was kids involved and decided to give like some money here and there. And then we went through bins to try and find food. Um, a lot of the time we found food. Now, when this is happening, do you, do you realize how unusual this is to grow up this way? No. Or this is just your life? It's yeah. like you're fish in water. You don't even know you're in water. Yeah. This is it's your just, life. This is what you do. Yeah. Yeah. We so you weren't depre- you weren't sad or upset about it. You just, this is what you do. You had to do your stuff. You had yeah. to get your food, and yeah, yeah. We weren't we weren't depressed or upset about it, but we were at times going. This is so hard. Yeah. This is how our neighbors not living like that. How come we're living like that? This is some bullshit. You know? Yeah, and but then it's like you you're you're just that family, and so you have to just go with it. Yeah, and uh, mom would uh, buy like tea uh, kettle. Not even a kettle, just something to boil hot water, and she'll like have little cups, and she'll go to the markets, and she'll go tea for anyone, tea, and someone will sit down, can I have tea? And she'll go yeah, and she'll make them tea, put sugar in it, and she'll give it to them, and they'll give her whatever they think they want to give her. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people didn't have it, but they really want her tea because she was she had this reputation now for making like the best tea. <laughs> And so people go, can I have your tea? And she'll go, all right. They don't have money though. <laughs> and that's the thing is like she's got bugger all. She's got kids to feed. Yeah. Um, but when someone wants tea and they don't have the money, she'll yeah. do it anyways. That's yeah. my mom, right? She just yeah. gives, man. Just operates out of love and she believes in God, right? Yeah. And uh, she'll do this and she'll get money like that and she'll, she'll feed us. And then she needs a bit more money now. So then she'll work. Like sh- someone will give her a job washing clothes at hotels in housekeeping. So she'll do that job and they'll give her a little bit more. Yeah. And I think she said one day she had to quit that job because the guy was taking her money and not giving it to her. Oh, God. Yeah. And he owed her like thousands and she would cry and she would say, can you give me my money? I have to feed my kids. But he wouldn't give it to her. It was dodgy. So she left that job. 
Um, but I remember uh, at times we used to be so hungry, uh, Bill. Um, what I used to do in Sudan is I used to dig like a little hole and then it's just rained, you know. You dig a little hole, the sand is nice and moist. So I'd mix it up and I'll just eat some of the sand oh, wow. until that pain of hunger goes away. Yeah. And then you go home and you're like, I'm not hungry. You guys are. <laughs> what, did you have? Sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> what did you have? You're like, none of your business because mom will kill me. <laughs> and then you're coughing blood. You're like, oh, what's that? <laughs> Good God. I, I remember one story uh, you told me it stuck with me. Um, is your mom would tie a rope around herself and then around, I guess, three siblings on one side, three on the other side yeah. when you go to sleep. Mm. So that when someone came to try to kidnap her mm. or you for mm. child soldiers, mm. it was almost like an alarm system. Everyone would get activated, and yeah. you know. So, yeah, can you Ma- speak on that? Like, w- like that sounds. That's one of the craziest I've ever heard. Yeah. So, so mom used to go to the market to try and find food, make money to feed us, and she used to say. Uh, three boys, three girls. She'll go, Joe, you're responsible for your twin sister, Elsa. Hailom, you're responsible for your, your younger sister, Helen. And Amara, my older brother, you're responsible for your older sister, Neshwa. And she goes, if anything happens to, like, if she goes to me, Joe, if anything happens to Elsa, you're in big trouble. Yeah. Not your other brothers. That's your responsibility. And so that's, so we all kept eyes on each other like that. Yeah. Until she came home and she'll go, okay, give me a report. How was, the, how was you know, what what happened? And then you go, oh, this happened, that happened, we did well. And we go, okay, cool. And you'd have to, you'd have to fight people off sometimes, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah 100%. Um, you, would, you would be in situations where that would happen. So uh, the time when we used to sleep on the streets, at night the church would m- make us sleep outside the church, not inside the church. They don't want homeless people inside, mm. so they'll kick us out and we'll sleep outside the church. Yeah. But when that happens, obviously, at night, there's no one around. And then you've got this single mom and six kids sleeping outside the church at night. Yeah. And my older brother used to do this thing where he would sleepwalk to the, to the park, right? And then mom would wake up and she'd go, wow, we're missing one. And she'll go, <laughs> she, she just knows where to find him. Our yeah. mother's instinct is yeah. next level. And she'll bring him back and she'll put him to bed, like on, beside her. And yeah. she'll just stay awake, keep an eye on him. And then sometimes at night we heard, like we all woke up because there was a screaming and it was my sister and some guy was trying to grab my sister. So we all got up, we all fought him and then we all went back to our corner and we slept in our corner. Yeah. Well, we slept, mom was like, I'll stay awake. But obviously she can't keep this up. You got to get, get a rest. Yeah. And so she bought a rope and she would tie our limbs, three people to one side and three people to the other side. And she will try. She will tie our limbs to her body parts. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone tries to pull us away, or my brother tries to sleepwalk, this rope will wake everyone up. Mm-hmm. And she will always say, um, if we hear screaming noise or someone's under any stress, we all attack and we all come back. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we'll have this rope, and someone will try to attack. We'll all wake up. Wow. How How are you learning at this point in terms of education? Was there Was your mom just teaching you? No, there was no education. No education. Yeah, I only remember. So even learning to speak and stuff like that, just from being around. Just uh, so Arabic, I learnt just talking to people because we grew up in Sudan. Yeah, Amharic, which is Ethiopian native language, I learnt from my mom, and then yeah. Tigrinya, which is uh, another native uh, tongue in Ethiopia as well, I learnt uh, from my dad. Yeah, um, and then English, I learnt here. Yeah. But then I do remember going to school for like maybe a year, you know. Um, and they used to teach us A, B, C, D <laughs> before we came here. 
Yeah. What? And the English they taught us was, this is spoon. And I used to go, this is spoon. I'm like, this is chair. I'm like, this is chair. And then when I came here, all I knew was, this is spoon. <laughs> I was like, wow, this kid's really good. I was like, I'm the family translator. <laughs> so you were going through this, you're, you're living streets. How did you, what changed? How did you get out of that situation? Mum. So mum just kept pushing for to find work. Um, You're still waiting for this visa, wherever this yeah, amnesty. Yeah, we'll through. go to the UN. They'll say, "Oh, yeah, it's been processed." Um, in the meantime, mum would like try to find work, and she couldn't find work at one stage. And we were living uh, on the streets, and it was too hard. And so uh, there was a school called Abai, uh, and they convinced mum that they'll take us in like a boarding school, and they'll look after us. And then she can come visit any time. And when she gets a job and a place, then she can take us out and we can live with her in the house. But it's safer for us to be in the boarding school. And mom went, okay, this makes sense. Yeah. So she put us in the boarding school. But this boarding school was horrendous. You know, they would they would beat us. They would make us sleep outside. They would... Um, it's probably worse in some levels. Yeah. And mom wasn't around. Yeah, mom wasn't around to protect us, you know, but she made it clear that we protect each other. And again, if anything happened to anyone, like we're all, you know, responsible for each other. So we all used to look after each other. And then this boarding school, um, they used to hit us a lot. And they used to uh, punish us with, like, um, making us bend and squat and hold our ears and stay in that compromising position until we cry. And if we... If we don't hold it, they will hit us. And so it was like horrendous. And some of us would pee the bed because we'd just been sleeping outside and we're scared as hell. Yeah. And then as a punishment, they would make you come to the office, pee in a bucket, and they would make you drink your pee. And that apparently will teach you to not Whoa. pee. Yeah. And then another thing they used to uh, do is when we're eating, if our index finger sticks out while you're eating, then they whack your index finger. Or you have to go and get belted because apparently only Jesus is supposed to stick his index finger Good. out. I love the fact that they use like religion to justify being horrible to children. Oh, man. It's so fucked up. It's crazy. And, and how then, long were you in the boarding school? Uh, probably six months to a year. And six then we told mom, we're like, oh, mom, this place is horrendous. And she's like, what do you mean? <laughs> Like, she's like, wait, I thought get, I solved a problem. Yeah, we get belted. They're making us drink piss. She's like, what do you mean? Yeah, the drink. I mean, I drank piss when I was training for yoga, but that's a different story. <laughs> you don't have that corona taste, <laughs> be honest. Um, you probably never got corona because you're probably, your, your immune system could probably take anything, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> we, I didn't taste that, you know, that taste in beer. You just go, oh, this beer, t-, when you first have beer. Yeah. I was like, oh, this tastes familiar. <laughs> <laughs> this is PTSD right here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All this. Eric, you want to go camping? No, thanks. <laughs> no, thanks. Yeah, I've done enough camping in my life. Uh, so we told mom and mom was furious and she put in a complaint with the uh, government system of the board that looks after the boarding school saying this yeah. is happening to my kids I need to have them back and the boarding school got so upset they banned her from coming to see us they wouldn't let her in but they kept you they kept us but they wouldn't let her in Fuck and so for hell. like a period there um, I would see mom but she wouldn't come into the, the boarding school anymore she'd be outside by the fence because she refused to stay away and she'll be like, hey, how are you? I'll be like, hey, mom, uh, why don't you come in? She's like, I can't come in. 
We're like, what's wrong? And she's like, I just can't, but I will soon. And then you could see the sadness in her Jeez, eyes, the tears. Imagine. And so for a period there, like we would hug her just through the boarding school fence and we'll, I'll, I'll go and get everyone around her mom. We'll go, yo, mom's here. Let's go hang. <laughs> and we'll all just hang. Yeah. But we have, she always protected us. Like she never gave us the full details, you know? Wow. Like she didn't go, you're all screwed. You can't, <laughs> you can't come with me, you know? Yeah. Like she would just like laugh with us and, and she would go, all right, I'll be back. And she'll go out try to get a job, try to get a place, prove she's not insane. Yeah. Like she's mentally sane to try and get us out. And eventually she did that. Wow. She found people who could help her write a letter and or put a letter together and fight for her because mom's not, like she can't read and write because she's yeah. never been to school. And and then she got a job at the cleaning, clothing and all, uh, at a hotel. And that was enough to rent someone's veranda. And so we slept in someone's veranda um, and that, that's how we got out of the school and into this veranda. And from this veranda, mum would apply. We would go to the UN and we would just constantly. So the veranda was like a Pax Romana then. Veranda, so things were probably good at that point, right? You had shelter. Yeah, shelter were, was the, important. The, you weren't getting attacked at night. Yeah. You weren't getting beaten. So things were looking We were still getting beaten up. We had this weird old ass man as our neighbor and he just hated kids. We were loud. <laughs> he always tried to sleep and we were just loud. So whenever he comes, we're like, he's coming. <laughs> and we'll all try to run. And he, he had this uh, whip that he used to whip like camels or something. And he would just just swing it everywhere. And he would get so many of us. <laughs> I remember God. he cornered me once and I just went, oh, I'll play like I'm asleep. Because this veranda is our, our bed pretty much. Yeah. So I just pretended to be asleep. And I could feel him standing over me. I'm like, he's not this evil, you know. I was asleep and he just goes, whack. Oh, my God. <laughs> I jumped and I ran out screaming. Holy and mom encouraged him. She's like, yeah, if they're naughty, whip, whip them. It doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> they're like your children. He's like, oh, okay, thank you. I oh will. Oh, my God. But mom didn't know how like next how, level this guy yeah, was. Exactly. And then we told her and she's like, okay. Um, she's like, God damn it. Yeah. Everything I do. <laughs> she's like, we, it's either this or the streets. I'm going to need you guys to behave. And we just never behaved. <laughs> and so she used to just be like. Like just upset, man. Yeah. Like we used to upset her so much, <laughs> and she was just be, used to be like, "Work with me, <laughs> work with help me, help me help you." Yeah, she used to be like that, and we used to just go, <laughs> "You think we want to be like this? <laughs> we can't help it. All these we have hormones energy. coursing through our body. <laughs> yeah, can't stop." And, and so, um, eventually, you know, we just kept going back to the UN to try and get this case approved so we can get out yeah. and get this uh, mum. Like, she just had a feeling and, like, she was so sure that we got approved way earlier. Yeah. But they just kept selling off our visas. Due to corruption, they can easily rip your picture, put another family's picture and go, look, this is the family. They've been approved. Send them to Norway, Canada, wherever. So, she believes a lot of, like, maybe six of our visa approvals were sold. Wow. And then we just kept getting the declined file. And then one day she had this file and she was crying and she was on the bus back. And she saw a guy called Amu Musa. And he used to work for, uh, I think, the United Nations, but in uh, in Dubai, I think, or in Kenya. And he recognized her because mom stands out, man. Yeah. You know, her situation, everyone knows about her in the town. And so... He goes, oh, why are you crying? And she goes, oh, you know, I just, like, we got declined, but I, I think, you know, our case has been sold and I just don't know what to do. And he really, like, empathized with her, you know. He felt sorry for her. He took the file and he said, I'll get this revived and then we'll get you in for an interview and we'll see what's going on. 
And wow. he got our file revived and got us an interview. And then mom goes to us, this is the interview. And she was like, that's it, man. And she yeah. goes to us, if we fail this interview, I'm going to kill myself. Wow. Yeah. And she goes, you have to be in your best behaviors, every single one of you. And you have to, uh, you have to be good kids so that we can get out of here. Yeah. This is it. There's no more after this interview. Um, and so we all went to the interview and we're like, fuck, this must be serious, you know. We went to this interview and we're sitting there and it's this white guy in a suit, an Ethiopian lady translating. And mom's talking to him and he's talking to mom and the lady. And, well, mom's talking to the lady. The lady's talking to him. He's talking. The lady's translating. Yeah. They're going back and forward. And uh, he says he's going to send us to Ethiopia because that's our home. So he'll send us home. Because Sudan is not our home. So he's like, you don't need to go overseas. We can send you to Ethiopia to your home and you can start fresh there. And mom goes, we have nothing there. And there's a civil war going on. You send us there, we're just going to die there. Yeah. And you know, and he's like, no, 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 we'll send you there. You'll be all right. We'll take care of the flights, everything. And mom just starts crying. That's code for us. That something is not right. Yeah. And when mom cries, we're like, what are you doing? Stop crying. And then we all start crying. It's just, yeah. it's natural. And so we started crying, but we can't speak because we're kids, you know. Again, my older brother, he starts speaking. My older brother is uh, a little soldier, you know. Yeah. He went through so much. And so he starts talking to the guy. And at the time, my older brother got attacked while he was trying to sell cigarettes. Remember, he was only like maybe uh, 13 years old. Yeah. He was out in the markets trying to sell cigarettes individually, make some money, sell yeah. them a little bit extra, give it to mom. You know, when mom is sick, he will go and pour the tea, sell the tea, come back with the money, give it to mom. But what happened was people would try to bully him. And so they'll be like, oh, you're a woman, you're making tea. Yeah, make me my tea, you woman. And they'll try to mess with his stuff. And he's, if he snaps, he gets angry. Yeah. Oh, man. So he got angry at this guy and he just picked up a brick and just hit him on the side of the head. And his ear was falling off. And my brother just ran home. Uh, they tried to catch him, but they couldn't. And then they found out he was mum's son. And uh, um, like he got, he got mobbed for it, but... Uh, yeah, what for? Mocked? Mobbed. So they, they managed to beat him up, but he escaped and yeah. came home. But he had bruises all over him. So when we went to the interview, he had the bruises on his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was talking to the guy and he's saying, look, I'm only 13 years old. Do all these bruises on my face. This is because this is what I have to do to survive here. Yeah. You know, this is what we have to do. This is our situation. And if you don't help us get out of here, we're going to die. Yeah. We can't go to Ethiopia because we're going to die there as well. We want to go to Australia or we want to go outside of here. Yeah. And while my brother was talking, he was also crying, you know, for a 13-year-old to speak through his tears yeah. and make sense and plead. Um, I th it really touched the translator and the guy because they both started crying. Wow. And then he just goes, stamp, you're going to Australia. And wow. we all moonwalked out of there. We went, amazing <laughs> acting, everyone. Amazing acting. Nailed it. High five. High five. Mom's like, I was never going to kill myself. Psych. Uh, <laughs> so that, I mean, that must have been such an incredible moment mm. when that happened. Your mom must have felt like a relief that very few people on the planet can feel. Yeah. Because Australia, although it's not the perfect country, it's, it's a perfect. fucking great country. Oh, my God. It's great. So, where did you move to Australia? Perth, Australia. 
Perth, yeah. Dude, when they said you guys are approved, we all just went. We still didn't believe it though. Yeah. Because we're like, okay, we need to get on the plane. Yeah. Then we know something is really yeah. happening. Yeah. They're like, and then they said, oh, this one's not your kid to my older brother, to her. She goes, no, they're all my kids. And they go, okay, we're going to need a DNA test because he looks a little bit darker and yeah. he's a bit built. He looks more West African than East African. You know, they went, this one might not be your... So she had to do a DNA test wow. to make sure they're all her kids. And we did that. And then we they put us on a bus. Um, all the neighbors came out and they're like, bye, don't forget us. I'm like, we will send you a hundred soccer balls when we get there because <laughs> we're going to be rich, right? <laughs> we were excited. Yeah. They, they got us in a bus, drove us to the airport, and we're like, what is this Right place? away, the yeah. same day? Uh, not the same day. We had to get the test and yeah, everything, yeah, yeah, but they gave right, you a yeah. date. And we're like, what is this? You know, we're on the... She's like, please, you have to behave yourself. So, you know, we're on the plane. Still that fear Still that... Still fear like yeah. you get kicked off anytime. Yeah. yeah. So, we get on this plane and we're like, what? We've never been on a plane. This is... We ordered food. We're like, they're giving us food. This is amazing. We had to stop at other airports on the way to Australia. And we stopped, I think it was Singapore Airport maybe. Yeah. And there was an escalator. We've never seen an escalator. We're like, what is this? You know, yeah. People are going up. People are going down. We just assumed up was heaven and down was hell. And we're like, what is going on? <laughs> it's crazy, man. Yeah. And we try to go on there and we're just shitting our pants. And then we get to Australia. We get to Perth. We see the lights. And I was like, wow. I could see. The- I still remember the lights from coming. The, from the plane. Window, from the yeah. plane. You know, coming in because we landed yeah. at night. And it was just lit up city. Well, like, this is incredible. We yeah. get off. There is like people waiting to welcome us, like people from the church, uh, people. So they, they were made aware that you were coming. Yeah. So they're like, there is a single mom with six kids coming because the governments have um, relationships with like humanitarian agencies here to help new people transition into yeah. the Australian way of life. Uh, and so these people were like that for us. And so they were like, hello, welcome, welcome. We're like, hi, hi. We're like, this is amazing. You know? They're like, we're going to take you to your house now. Like, we now, have were a these house? the first white people you've seen? Um, yeah. And, oh, no. You would have seen white people now a lot. The first white person I saw was um, the immigration guy. Yeah, okay. The one that approved us. Okay. You know? But then along the way, you see white people and you're like, there's so many. Where in Sudan, if one came to their neighborhood, everyone's around them going, what is this? Yeah, yeah. Right? So, and they're all in your face and they stare at you. They don't <laughs> give a shit that you're there looking at them going, why are they staring at me? No one cares. We're just infatuated. You yeah. Know? And so, along the way, we saw a few white people. So, we weren't, like, we're still infatuated. And they dropped us off at our house. And they go, this is your house. We're like, what do you mean? <laughs> this is our house. Like, this is your house. It was like a house. Like a yeah, it was house. like a house. Like a nice house, <laughs> like a five-bedroom house. My and God. our driveway was massive. They're like, this is your house. And we walked in. And I remember I see like on the dining table this big ball of apples. And I was like, is that our apple? And they're like, yeah, that's your apple. Man, I ran, grabbed this apple. Everyone chased me. We go to the room. I'm like, one apple for you, one apple for me, one apple for you, one apple. And we're passing these apples around. And it's because when we were in Sudan and we were starving on the streets, there was this guy with his cart. He used to sell apples. We could never afford apples. And he would never give us. We always see people buying apples. So this is your first apple? Yeah. So we're (laughs) going, man, we really want those apples. And then we get to Australia. The first thing waiting for us in our and living apples. room is a bowl of apples. Wow. Yo, we devoured the apples. <laughs> and there's this thing with uh, people in our situation. 
when we went to like places like Sizzlers in Australia where it's all you can eat and they have um, desserts and yeah. they have like food and stuff, we always just went for the apples. <laughs> but you pay like 50 bucks a head because you can eat everything. Yeah. But we only went for the apples and they're like, you have to stop just going for fruits because that's cheap. <laughs> we can take you down the road. You can get like a dollar apple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, go for the cakes and stuff. And we're like, no, nah, the apples are great. <laughs> yeah. So, God, that's amazing. So, once you're, how did life sort of resume in Australia? What did it look like? Did your mom have a job? Do you guys go to school? How old are you at this point? Um, I came in when I was, I came to Australia when I was 11. I keep saying I came here thinking I'm in Australia <laughs> yeah. talking to you. Uh, went to Australia when I was 11 years old. Yeah. Now, in Australia, they've got a welfare system called Centrelink that gives you money to help you settle in. Yeah. So, mom would have been getting like a thousand bucks a fortnight. Wow. To help us settle in. And a teacher in some parts of Ethiopia makes like $100 a month. Yeah. So, you know, we're rich. Yeah. And we don't even have a job. Wow. So, we, we couldn't understand this new way of life. Yeah. We had white neighbors. We're like, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, we had German neighbors. They were so lovely. <laughs> that was my first love is the neighbor. Yeah, little German uh, girl. Their daughter. Oh, man. She was so adorable. <laughs> Her name was Fiona. Um, she was my first love I was 11 years old oh, I was wow. infatuated I didn't speak English I would just stare at her And she'll go Come, come, come And I'll go out uh, And she'll have like a bicycle And she'll go Do you want to ride? I'll go Okay And she'll show me how to ride the bike How to rollerblade Oh right? wow And I was just in love with her man I love her yeah And then one time Right um, I don't know what happened, but we were having like we were hanging out, we were rollerblading. I was like, "This girl is amazing," and I felt some type of way, and I had a boner, and I couldn't explain the boner, so I ran home. I was like, "Mom," you know? and Mom's like, "What were you doing?" And I was like, "I was hanging out with my friend," and she's like, "Oh, you can't see her anymore." <laughs> I was like, so she, she just explained to me that I just like just relax, you know. <laughs> Go to your room, yeah, stare at the wall. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, Fiona was my first love. She was amazing. And you never saw her again after that? Is that true? You stopped hanging out with her after that? No, no. I hanged out with her, but not as much anymore, yeah. you know? Because <laughs> I was like, I didn't like the way you make me feel. I can't <laughs> hang out with you as much anymore. And you, um, and then you started going to school, I'm sure, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, as soon as, we come in, as soon as we came here, they registered us for primary school. Yeah. Um, was I, that just fucking bizarre? Yeah. To all of a sudden sit there and, I mean... How how could you even learn at that age? Like mm. it must be like uh, what? Yeah, just stare. Yeah, you just stare, and the teacher comes, just yells some stuff at you repeatedly, and then eventually they realize you don't know what the, <laughs> what the hell is going on, so they just do it for you, and you're like, oh okay. <laughs> so from now on, I guess I'll just stare at you until you do it for me. <laughs> and so, this was this was a thing. It, yeah, it went all the way to year bloody. Uh, year eight, so I went to um, I went to year six, year seven, and then left primary. Went to year eight, which is like ILC Intensive Language Center. Yeah, and it was myself, but it was like this class. It was a year, a year group of everyone on the same boat, but we were all from different ethnicities: we're Sudanese, Serbians, uh, Bosnians, Croatians, Ethiopians, Eritreans, Somalians. We we're all learning English, so you're not you're not being uh, assimilated into like a normal Australian school. No, not yeah. yet, because they're trying to teach us English yeah. first. And so, the teacher in my class, oh, Mrs. Hines, lovely teacher. I remember her so well. 
you have to be a very patient uh, teacher oh to God. teach us, man. Oh, I'm sure. She would just repeat herself so many times with a big smile, and we have no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> but then one of my mates, you know, like would get work, and he'll just go, Miss, I am confused. And she'll go, okay, I'll come over. His name was Will. She'll come over, and she'll do his work for him. And she'll go, there you go, do you understand now? And he's like, yes, 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 <laughs> yes. And then I was like, oh, okay, so if I can say I am confused, she'll come and she'll help me and she'll do the work, but I could never pronounce it. So I just, oh, man, I'll just... Oh, I'm a like, both. I don't want to risk it, you know? <laughs> so I just never said it, but I always went, this guy's the smartest in the class because <laughs> he just knows how to get the work done. Yeah, yeah. And then as I got older, I realized he was just always confused. <laughs> like, he was, he was the dumbest in the class. I didn't even know. And then when she left, I was so upset. I yeah. bought her flowers, uh-huh. gave her five bucks. I cried a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I didn't get bullied because my older brother was in the same year and he was aggressive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyone touches my brother, I'll kill you. That's I'm like, great. Thanks, bro. That's awesome to have a brother like that. Yeah. I, I had brothers like that. Oh, yeah? Aggressive? Yeah. Yeah, like my brother. When um when the movie Goodwill Hunting came out, I called my brother Jim and said, "Jim, there's a movie about you. you oh, watch. wow! Because he was a genius. Yeah, like crazy genius. Perfect yeah. score in SATs. Wow. Number one in high school. Wow. But he was a fucking delinquent <laughs> and got in fights all the fucking time. Wow. It was crazy. He he he's a he's he's a mean, and now he's like a a bald professor in Minnesota. But anyway, what? <laughs> Did he get arrested and stuff when he was? Yeah, I mean, up? just for dumb shit, like wow. you know, nothing big. It was like suburban yeah. shit. My brother is a registered nurse now. Oh wow! Yeah. So now, while so then, eventually after this, you get assimilated into the normal high school mm-hmm. and junior high school of Australian kids. Yeah. Right. And so again, another probably huge culture shock. Oh, hundred percent. And were you being bullied? Was that? Or, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, you know, like lucky for us because we were a big family. Mum made sure we always had like each other in our schools. So and your I, brother was enforcer, so that helped, right? Yeah. So my brother was—he was always cool, man. He didn't even speak a word of English, but because he was just like taller, he had more muscles. He was—he had like plaits, and he used to watch a lot of R&B and hip hop. And when we got here, so he started styling like them. Yeah. Well, I didn't know what was going on. I, was, I looked like a little professor, you know, a little <laughs> Ethiopian professor. But you didn't know if I was a girl or a boy because I matured really late, you know. <laughs> and sometimes, but I had like a really pretty face, but no mustache or nothing. Yeah. So, you know, you couldn't really tell what sex I was because my body was like a twig, man. Yeah. I was heavily malnourished. Yeah. Heavily. The bag was way bigger than me. I remember this one time we're on the train and my I'm sitting there holding my bag and I'm looking at my brother and he's got this girl and he's making out with her and then he's just like standing there with his bag it's pretty cool you know Yeah. and then he's looking at like looks away and then she looks at me and she leans in and she goes are you a boy or a girl? (laughs) (laughs) with whatever strength I had I went I'm a boy (laughs) I had a really squeaky voice (laughs) man I had a squeaky voice growing up (laughs) I didn't really speak to anyone I kept to myself you know oh man and then um, he's like, oh, that's my brother. Just leave him alone. And she goes, oh, okay. I was like, mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> so he always looked out for me. But he, he always made sure, like, if I was, if I disrespected him, he, man, you, yeah, like, yeah. when we played soccer, my brother loved soccer. <laughs> if I missed, he'll go, Joe, go outside and think about what you just did <laughs> in front of everyone. I'll go, I'm not going to, what are you doing, man? Stop humiliating me like that. I'm not going to sit outside and he'll come running toward me. I'll go, see ya. <laughs> you have to, and he, he did it to anyone. Yeah. Because you just missed this goal and I set it up nicely for you. 
go outside, have a 10-minute break. <laughs> and he's not even the captain. <laughs> he's just like the strongest, dude. Yeah, yeah. And but so we, he was cool in the school. Like everyone in the school just accepted him. He was like a cool guy. And, yeah. And he was banging the white girls. It, oh, he, was, he was doing it all, man. You know? <laughs> but we all had, growing up in Australia, uh, Ethiopians born in Sudan, growing up in Australia, we, we had identity crisis like a mother. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Hard. Right, my my older brother. I remember we had this thing in our school where it was like a cultural day, and they're like dress from the country that you're from, and uh, present something like a, a traditional move or dance or something. Yeah. So me and my sister dressed in our Ethiopian attire. We bought an Ethiopian drum. We're gonna present a traditional Ethiopian dance, and then my brother showed up and he's like, oh, I'm not Ethiopian, and he's dressed in traditional Sudanese attire. Wow. We're like, dude, you're not Sudanese. And he's like, yes, I am. And the teacher comes up. She goes, Amara, uh, what are you dressed as? He's like, Sudanese. And she goes, um, Joe and Elsa are like Ethiopians. She goes, Amara, aren't they your siblings? <laughs> he's like, yeah. She's like, are you Ethiopian? He's like, no, I'm Sudanese. And then she went, okay. All right. We'll move on. Yeah. So we did the dance. We finished. And she goes, it's your turn, Amara. And he's like, um, I don't know how to dance. <laughs> Sudanese dance. And she goes, why? It's like, because I'm Ethiopian. <laughs> so, so you know, we had cultural identity uh, yeah. crisis uh, just growing up in Australia. Yeah. Uh, Did you try to, because whenever kids are in high school, they always try to like, I mean, I remember for me, like I, 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 I went to mostly black schools, so I became like a break dancer. Oh, okay. And I would dress like with the parachute pants, the fat laces, I was in a breakdance crew, yeah. wow. and then and then some girl that I had a crush on a white girl. I think it was like eighth grade or something. Was like, you're never gonna have a girlfriend. Wow! If that's how you dress. So then I was like, oh shit, what do I do? So then I was like, so it was like Bruce Springsteen was popular at the time. So I started wearing flannel mm. and blue jeans and like, okay, I guess I'm a classic rock guy now. You know, just yeah. fit in. So I imagine for your situation, like. Was there like, was there a, a group or a niche that you wanted to fit into? Was it sports? Was it like, like how would you find your clique of people? For, or were you just hung out with your family? Um, I just I hung out with anyone I needed to do to hang out with yeah. to survive. Yeah, that's. I mean, we come from a place where that's all we were taught is to survive our yeah. environment. You know. And now it was just like a different way of surviving. You know, you had to survive at school so you don't get bullied. Yeah. Um, the high school. Did you I develop went, a sense of humor? Uh, w- yes. Was that one of your tactics to survive? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had a sense of always had a sense of humor. I used to make my siblings laugh all the time through the crisis. You know. Yeah. And um, now that I'm doing comedy, mum would tell me stuff about the past, and she'll go, "You know, this one time when we were begging and you were on my back, um, it was me, you, and your." Uh, my older brother and we went to um, the market and we were begging and there was this one guy he had like a bulk of money and I said to um, Amara who's my older brother she goes to him Amara go and ask that guy for money and if he says ask you get your mom to come and I'll give it to her tell him like I'm deaf I can't hear because mom knows he's going to try to solicit her you know? yeah. so then my brother goes and I'm watching because like tied on her back and I'm watching um, I was sick at the time but I could see what's going on and then my brother goes up and the guy goes, oh, is that your mom? He goes, yeah, ask her to come. And then my brother's like, oh, she's deaf. And then he looks at her and he starts sticking his index finger in his nose, you know, and he's like poking his nose and he's like opening his wallet, showing her the money and poking his nose with his index finger, right? And this is like trying to say, you know, sexual favor, 
and I'll give you the money. That's what it means in sign language? Yeah, that's what he was doing, yeah? Oh, he was, wow. That's not what it means in sign language professionally, but like in, you know, he was doing, he was he insinuating. Put it into his nose. Yeah, yeah, he put it into his nose and he was poking his nose with his index finger oh and he was giving her, like he was showing her money. He's like, come here, and you then, know, poke his, his nose and he's like, I'll give you money. Oh, wow. And their mom was like, oh, no, 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 like that, nodding her head, like, no, 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 no. Um, and then she just called my older brother over and then um, I kept watching this and I could see the guy's got money and we need money and I'm like why isn't mom going up to him he's calling her over and he's all he's doing is like yeah. his nose. so I go mom that guy said he'll give you money all you have to do is clean your nose yeah, and then she started god. laughing so hard <laughs> and she just goes let's go we have to get out of here oh my god and then I was so upset the whole day well, we could have got money but you don't want to clean your nose <laughs> you know and so the whole day she was just like you idiot you know we laughed yeah. hard though yeah so that was that was my first joke ever um so in in my family when we're sad you know we always like just entertain ourselves we'll sit around the couch and then I'll I'll do a game where we we choose someone and we tease each other. Yeah. Well, we play roasting. No one ever wants to face me because it means everyone would laugh at them. <laughs> so I had to choose, and I always chose my older brother because it was the time to get him back. Yeah. <laughs> and he used to hate it to the point where I'll only stop when he starts punching me. <laughs> um, and it was just so easy to tease. Yeah, yeah. And I took this into high school. Yeah. You know, I went to the roughest school in the area that I grew up in, um, where there was gangs and stuff. And I was the only African guy in my year, uh, the third African in the school, because there's one guy above me and then my twin sister. And where was your brother at this point? My brother uh, went to a different school, okay. uh, second roughest school down the road from yeah. me. He had his own problems as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> with gangs and stuff that he was trying to deal with. Um, and so in that school, it's like, now you are that black guy. Yeah. Um, so now you have to be what they expect you to be, a cool black guy. They all watch R&B and hip hop. That's what they expect you to be. Yeah. But I'm like, yo, that is so not me. That's my brother. <laughs> you know? So I'm like, oh, man, I got to... I got to learn I got to learn, yeah. So I was watching Nelly a lot, you know? <laughs> it's getting hot in her, you know, Nelly? I was watching a lot of Nelly. I used to show up to school wearing headband. Oh, my God. And the it. wristband. Yeah. And my teacher was a clown. She used to clown me all the time. She'd be like, Joe, I'd be like, present. And she'll go, why do you have a headband on? I go, oh, it's, um, and she goes, why do you have a, a, a handband as well? She goes, hey, do you have a tennis match or something? <laughs> and I go, no, I don't. I'm just being cool, you know? And she'll go, take it off. I go, all right, I'll take it off and I'll put it on during lunch break. <laughs> so I, I had to be that cool guy, cool yeah, black yeah. guy they expect. But I wasn't. Yeah. And so this is all those surviving, you know? <laughs> of course. You got to not get bullied because there's gangs in that school. And I, I wasn't part of any of it. Yeah. And so they're like, you can't just not be part of it. You have to be part of this gang because you're more closer to the indigenous gang. Yeah. They're black, you're black, that's your so gang. So you joined a gang? Uh, sort of, yeah. Sort of. Yeah. An honorary member. Yeah. So it's like when there's a fight and stuff, you have to go and help. Yeah. And so, and they always, there used to be fights between Vietnamese and fights between uh, indigenous Aboriginals uh, in the school. And I used to be part of that. So if I didn't go, then they'll be like, you aren't there. What's this? You know, you're yeah. turning on us. And then they'll like beat you up. Wow. So to survive, you have to go. You know? And did you learn how to fight? Did you, were you taught? Were you trained in any way? Did your brother teach you? How did you, how would you learn how to fight just like? Oh, yeah, we learned how to fight at a young age. At man. a young age. Yeah. Well, first, we fought each other. And secondly, uh, growing up in Sudan on the street, we always have to find out who is the strongest on the street. Yeah. So we'll do like a little circle and 
two people will jump in there and will punch it out until someone taps out. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it's typical, typical stuff with brothers. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just with us. It was with the street. So yeah. kids from the street. Good God. We man. had one long street and then every kid from that street, you, you'll know who's the strongest, the second strongest, the third strongest, the fourth strongest, because we all had a fight. Yeah. And if someone moved in and they were new, then they'll have to come to see where they rank. Good God. And if they go, oh, I'm number two, then you got to fight the person who's number two. Jeez. And if you beat him, then you got, and my brother was number one, so he beat everyone up. <laughs> yeah. And if I refuse to fight, he'll be like, I don't think so, buddy. <laughs> get in there. Uh, and my younger brother will like, get in there. And he's like, I'm not fighting. And my older brother is like, well, you can either fight him or I'll have to bash you. <laughs> and my younger brother is like, all right, I'll get in there. You know? Yeah. That's, it was just, to us, that was the norm. That's, that's so crazy. That was the norm. And then when we finish finding out who's the strongest on our street, then we'll go to the next street and we'll fight them to prove that our street was better. Good God. And we, like, we had weapons, you know, when we did that. Um, so th- that was like Africa. And so when we came here, we already had that fighting yeah, mentality, yeah, yeah. you know. So when I went to the school, like I knew how to punch. I knew, um, I wasn't scared, but when there's a group and they're coming for you, you have to be scared. Yeah. Because there's a group of them now. And so I survived, I guess, high school by being cool, by being funny, not a threat, just that comedic relief. But guy. you still had to fight though. Yeah, had to fight. Um, it's weird. I had one guy who was like the nerd in the school and he picked on me. And so I was like, I guess I'm going to have to fight you. And then I hit him and it broke his glasses and I felt so bad. Yeah. I was like, like, this isn't for me. This is like every bad movie, you know, where the nerd gets hit by the mean guy. I'm like, I'm the mean guy right now. <laughs> but this guy was ripping into me. Like I was making fun of my mom and I was just like, oh, I'm going to have to fight this guy. Yeah. And so I did and yeah, I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, uh, went to the principal office, and he was now more of a nerd than what he was already, <laughs> and I was the cause of it. You know? Yeah, yeah. I but that like, probably I'm, gave you a little street cred too. Yeah, of course, of yeah. course. But yeah. I didn't like the way I felt. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah, I, I, I did like I, I caused. I, I was just it just looked so bad. Yeah, he's trying to find his glasses and shit. I'm like, what kind of movie is this? <laughs> this <laughs> is the worst thing ever. Oh my god! Um, and they yeah. did it like a little circle around us at the basketball court, and I just went. Bam! And his glasses split, and I was like, "Oh man!" <laughs> and then that was game over for him as well. Yeah. And so that, I had to survive that school. And when I went there, I had this uh, girl come up to me first day. She's like, "What's your name?" Man, I was so scared. Right? I'm like, if this girl can't pronounce my Ethiopian name, because you know Joe White's not my real name. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. So I'm like, if she can't, unless you thought my African parents gave it to me. <laughs> This guy, he's going to get us somewhere. We'll call him <laughs> Joe White. Let's make this sure is, emphasis on the white. <laughs> this is our ticket. <laughs> um, so when I went to school, which is like, what's your name? I just said Joe because at the time I was listening to the R&B singer Joe. Uh, okay. Do you remember Joe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's from your era, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a ladies man. He's cool. Everything I wanted to be. Yeah. And so I said Joe and she goes, okay, cool. And I was like, man... Now I have to just make sure no one finds out. Yeah. It's Talahun. So then I would go up to the teacher and I would say, oh, I know this says Talahun, but it's pronounced Joe. So if you can just call me Joe, everything will be all right. Yeah. And she just, I did that. I did that all for like a couple of years. Um, and people used to call my mom house and be like, oh, is Joe there? And she'd be like, who is Joe? And she would hang up. <laughs> is Joe there? Who is Joe? It's constantly. There's no Joe here. Yeah, there's no Joe. And then she asked my sister, she goes, oh, that's Talahun. And then my mom goes, come here. <laughs> Starts whipping me. She's <laughs> like, how dare you change your name? So were all, you and your siblings, 
you were all in the same kind of survival mode. Did you guys all do pretty well in high school? Like, was it you all graduated high school? Yeah, we all, uh, except my older sister. Yeah. Yeah, she's way more traumatized than we are. Mm. Um, a lot happened to her. Yeah. Um, and so, I, and I think she's struggling to deal with it. And it's only recently that she started dealing with it. Yeah. Um, you know, we've we've come to this country, uh, Australia, and everyone's productive members of their community. You know, uh, everyone's doing something with their life. Um, no one's going to jail or anything like that. And everyone's like, "Wow, you guys are happy. You're smiling. You know, obviously, like you've survived. That's it." But we're like, "Man, I think we're traumatized. We yeah, all need yeah, therapy. We, have, we, have, we need therapy. Yeah, yeah, we we need to spend at least a million dollars on therapy. <laughs> we don't have that money yet, so we I deal with it by being on stage. So yeah, I think exactly. I'm the healthiest out of all of them. Or oh, my mom is because she's got God as her therapist and always yeah. had him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're all traumatized in our own way, and we're all trying to deal with it. Yeah. yeah. And so. So you get out of high school, yeah. And when does the comedy bug bite you? So in high school, I should um, just elaborate a bit more on the name. So everyone called me Joe as my nickname, uh, and then it was Joe Halu. That's my last name. So no one called me Talahun except Mum. And then uh, because I was the only black guy there, they used to be like, "Do you know Joe?" And they'll go, "No, oh, the black guy, Joe Black." Mm-hmm. They go, "Oh yeah, Joe, the black guy." So it was Joe Black. Yeah. And then um, when I left and started doing comedy. I thought it would be funny to just commit to the full nickname. <laughs> yeah. Right? All these rappers have different, completely different names. Yeah. So I wanted to go Joe Black and my mate goes, nah, go the opposite, mate. It's funnier. Yeah. I like the misdirection. So I went with Joe White and it was just funny when I come on stage and Joe White and it's a black guy. That's how hacky I was in the beginning, <laughs> Bill. <laughs> I used to get the laughs and that's all I ever wanted. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't think like I was going to get a following in Australia, right? So now I've got a following and everyone's like, you're trying to be white. I'm like, that's not how it works. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So but how did you, how how did you get into the comedy though? So, so you graduated. So I guess you graduate high school. Yeah. And now you're presented with like, okay, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Which is, I guess, a lot of people, do you go to college? What were the options for you coming out of high school? Um, so I finished high school. But while I was in high school, I was working uh, with this Asian guy. He's Vietnamese. His name is Hock Lam. And he was a salesman, and I met him through a friend who was working for him, and we used to go door-to-door sales selling Telstra deals, uh, which is like a phone company deals. And he took me in, and he was like my mentor. He taught me how to shake hands, how to be professional, how to wear a suit, uh, how to do a tie, how to talk to people in the eye, um, how to carry myself, how to be a man, right? And I was like, heck yeah, I like this is what I felt like I was missing, someone to teach me these things. Took me to my first strip club, took me to my first casino, you know, <laughs> when we finished work. And so he was like my buddy. And then he owed me like three grand, three and a half, and I wasn't seeing it anymore. And whenever I needed money, he would just give me a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks there. But I was like at school anyways, and I just finished and I, I I needed a bit more money now. And he wasn't giving it to me. And I was like, Are we having financial problem? Turned out he was like a scammer. Oh, God. And so he was using us to collect people's details and scam. Wow. And, uh, so I, I had to drop him and like got my license and started a courier business where I had contracts like you know UPS and stuff. Uh-huh. I had my own van and I was taking out contracts with uh, courier companies and then I got another van and I was renting that one out to my friends while I made I drove my own van so I made like money on two vans. Yeah. Uh, and then at night so I did that Monday to Friday, 6 p.m. Friday finished 7 p.m. I started driving taxi. Friday night, Saturday night, till like 6 a.m. the next day. 
And so I was making like a thousand bucks on that. Wow. And then Sunday night at like 7 p.m. I'd start security and I'll finish at midnight. And then Monday I'll start career again. And then Friday, Saturday, taxi, Sunday. So I was doing like three jobs. Yeah. And I was making good money. I had an investment property. I started renting out. I was living in... Um, in so you got your own place? Yeah. I, was, I had my own place, but I was renting it out per room. And I was living in an apartment in the city with my um, girlfriend at the time. I, was, I had a serious relationship 10 years. Um, Did you meet her in high school? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we met when I was like 19. So not quite in high school. Yeah. She was in high school because she was uh, 17 at the time. Yeah. I was 19. Um, and so, yeah, we were living uh, in the house, uh, in the city, in the apartment. And then I lost my driver's license because working as a career, you're constantly speeding to catch the plane so you don't yeah. miss the freight. Got Lost my license couldn't do driving anymore any job to do with driving and then she got me into the bank because she was working in banking and so while i was working in banking three years i progressed to three different uh positions and i wasn't the smartest i didn't have any degrees where people next to me had like a master's and finance degrees i didn't have any of that what i had was people skills you know and the ability to pick up things quick and learn and so I'd be in the club doing shots with my bosses. When the time came to get a promotion, I'd be like, I really want this promotion. They'd be like, Joe, you're my boy. <laughs> you want this promotion? I'm like, yeah, I do. Can you sign off on it? I'm like, mate, we were in the club on Monday and we were doing like wet pussy shots all night. <laughs> of course, I'll sign away on this. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> this is the, the best part about being a social, a social butterfly. You know? Yeah. So they'll sign off. Every year I was in different position and I was a relationship manager. Um, you know, full suit, pin in your, in your tie. You uh, get a company credit card, company car. You're sitting down with like uh, business owners to write up to $4 million in lending to yeah. buy uh, properties. And uh, you go through financials to find out, you know, if they can afford it or not. You put together like a credit uh, portfolio and you try to get it approved by credit managers so they can get this multi-million dollar deal. So, you're that, you're wow. that guy, you know. I even had a, a sit-in a, a sit with the CEO of the bank who was making millions because I wanted to ask him some questions because someday I want to be a CEO. No one would send that letter in my email in my position. I sent at 8 p.m. at night because I wanted to be better. I wanted to progress. I wanted to be the CEO of the bank. I don't want to be my manager. I want to be the CEO. So I reached out to him and I went, he'll either fire me and think I'm a weirdo or he'll sit down with me. And everyone in my office were freaked out. My manager was freaked out. The state manager was freaked out. And then um, he called me and he's like, let's catch up. I was like, wow, let's do it. And I was sitting there talking to him, Rob DeLuca, nicest guy, fast paced, was telling me about the uh, success triangle, you know, and I applied that in comedy, right? When I, is a success triangle, have you heard of it? I don't know what it is now. So it's like, he goes, uh, that firstly, the secret to his success is a good team. And secondly, the success triangle, you apply that in every project, there's no reason why it should fail. You know, capable, so... Uh, Capable, motivated, clear. Clear, capable, motivated. You have to make sure everyone's clear about the target and the goal. You have to make sure they have the tools, they're capable to do the job. Yeah. And then you have to make sure they're motivated so they know why it needs to get done and what the reward is. And if everyone's on board and then something doesn't get done, you have to fire someone, he goes to me. And I was like, I could do that. And so I apply that in comedy, clear, motiv uh, capable, motivated, and it's worked beauty all the time. Yeah. Um, so I did all that. But I only became this type of person because 
the ten year relationship ended. We mm. got engaged for one year, and then she's like, "I don't want this anymore." So wh- why why did it end? Was there a, a reason you put your finger on, or was this? Um, I think we just grew apart, and she just wasn't in love with me anymore. Yeah, and it was just repetitive, boring life that we lived. Yeah, you know, we didn't go on holidays together. We didn't like we went to Bali maybe, and that was just like party. Yeah, but we couldn't. She wanted to travel America, Europe. I was like, I don't have. And she's money like a white Australian girl. Nah, she's Ethiopian. Ethiopian girl. as well. Yeah, lovely okay. girl. Um, now I think she's a lovely girl, but when we broke up, I thought she was <laughs> the biggest bitch. <laughs> How dare you break up? Do you know who I am? Oh man! Do you so know everything. Who I am? So your career is finally taken off, and then you break up. Yeah. Well, actually, the other way around. She broke up with me, and then I became this beast. Okay. And got my it. career started taking off. Yeah. But the issue is, I got promoted, and that promotion. Because we worked in the bank together, took me in the same floor as her, which oh meant God. now every day while dealing with this breakup, I have to see her every day. Wow. So every day we're like playing this game of avoiding one another. Oh, no. Um, and I was just not healing. Yeah. And then I, um, my sister called me crying and she's like, I need you to come over. I went over. I was like, what's wrong? And she was like, oh, I, do you believe in psychics, Bill? Or? Yeah. To a degree. I believe, most of them, I, I believe most of them are probably full of shit. But there's been enough weird shit in my life where I'm like, there are some threads there in the universe that, that people can be privy to for sure. Mm. Yeah. So I, I, so they had, the short answer is yes. Okay. Because I, I don't. And I didn't. Yeah. I do now. Right? And my sister calls me crying. I go over. And she goes, dude, one of my friends said, go see this psychic in the market. And her name is Annette Christopopoulos. Um, I think I butchered it, but Annette. Um she said, go and see her because what happened was she said all these things about personal stuff she shouldn't know about my sister's friends who passed away in an accident. And she's like, oh, their spirit is here and they're saying this and they're saying that. And she's like, she shouldn't know these things. This is conversations between me and them. Yeah. Unless she was right and it freaked her out. So she ran, uh, went home. And so she goes, you should go see her, see what she says about you because you've just had this relationship wow. <laughs> ending and your life is like... Yeah. I was like, a good way to say you're at the bottom. Yeah. I'm like, all right, let's go. So I went and we were talking and she goes, have you done one of this before? I said, no. She goes, okay, it's, I'm going to tell you the truth even if it's bad. I go, yeah, this is, I don't think it can get any worse. Yeah. And she goes, I'll comment on your love life, your business venture and your character. And you, three things. I go, okay. So she comments on my love life. She comments on my character, what I need to change so that I'm in a better position. And then she comments on my uh, future business and she goes to me, what do you do for work? I said, oh, I'm a banker. And she started laughing. <laughs> and I said, what's funny? She goes, I just don't think that's your spirit. Wow. I'm like, what does that mean? She goes, it's, it's not your spirit. She goes, you like it because it puts you in a position of authority. You like the power that comes with it. You know, you've got people beneath you. I was like, yeah. And she goes, you like that status. That's all it is. It's not your spirit. And I go, oh, yeah, what's my spirit then? She goes, um, she goes, are you a rapper? I was like, are you stereotyping? <laughs> she goes, no, no, I'm not. I'm just, she starts giggling. She goes, I'm not, but are you like something to do with stage? I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, like, I see you on stage. I see a massive crowd. I see you doing well. Um, that's what I see for you. Something to do with you. And, being and at this point in your life, this is like, like she's speaking Chinese. You're like, yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, I'm a banker. I'm like, what are you talking about? I just had a meeting with the CEO. Yeah. I'm about to take over. 
<laughs> more apples for me and my homies, you know? <laughs> and she's going, it's, you're supposed to be on stage. And then I said, wow. well, she goes, and I see you, you're performing because in my vision, you're elevated. But the energy is you'd walk in, you're high-fiving people. That's the energy that I'm seeing. She goes, it's to do with stage. It's your job to find it. Wow. Like whatever it is, you're going to do well at it. And I went, oh, okay. I said, what else? She goes, that's all it is. She goes, but you have to find it. That's your job. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'll find it. Yeah. It's like, crazy woman. So that time you're like, yeah, whatever, bitch. Yeah, I was yeah. like, crazy woman. And we finished talking and I said, oh, thanks for this. It's been fun. <laughs> and then before we wrapped up, I said, oh, by the way, a month ago, I wrote a, like a page of stand-up comedy that I was going to try. Um, because people kept saying, oh, you're funny. You should try stand-up. And I was going through a phase in my life where I was ticking boxes. I was going to seminar meetings, property investments, yeah, yeah. and I was like, oh, these meetings are doing my head in, you know? But I was go, <laughs> I was skydiving. I was doing all this to try and see what it is. Yeah, yeah. That, like, that makes me feel alive again because, man, after that breakup, I felt like I was yeah, you know, at the bottom. Yeah, you didn't know yeah. what your life meant anymore. Yeah, I was like, my life is over. I might as well just fucking take myself out, you know? That's how yeah. I felt. I was that down. And then she goes to me, when I told her about the stand-up, her eyes, there was just something in her, in her facial expression. She's like, that's it. You have to do stand-up. And I was like, what? She goes, you have to do stand-up. And she shared her personal story about when she first started, how she didn't have faith in herself. But she goes, you have to find a way to do stand-up. It's your calling. And I was like, yeah, okay. And then she goes, I'll tell you this, if you don't do it, I see that you're going to be a 50-year-old man and regret the way you lived your whole life. Wow. And I was no like, pressure. God damn, <laughs> woman, we just met. <laughs> just, and then I walked away and that's what like, stood out with me. I was like, oh, I can't. Personal development, I was heavily into it. And it, it says you can't have regrets because of fear. Yeah. False evidence appearing real. Fear you can't have regrets because of fear. You have to do it. If you think you should, you have to. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I can't. I got to be honest in my dealings, you know? And so I go, well, where am I going to find a place to do stand-up comedy? Because I, I tried a month ago. In Perth, I emailed places. There's no way to do it. Yeah. And she goes, you have to find the way. You have to find the way. There is a way. You have to find a way. Even if you have to pay someone, she goes, that's your calling. You're going to do very well. You need to do it. And then she goes, oh, by the way, I see you going to Melbourne, Australia. And I go, why would I go to Melbourne, Australia? Yeah. And she goes, oh, it's going to be good. It's a business venture. I said, oh, I've got a friend in Melbourne. And she goes, no, it's nothing to do with your friend. It's a business venture. It's good. It's going to happen in the next like three months. I was like, yeah, all right. And then she's like, but you have to do stand-up comedy. I was like, okay, no worries. I wasn't going to do it. Anyways, I was driving, said goodbye. I get a message from her. You have to do it. You have to find a way to do it. I was like, wow, she's quite persistent. Yeah. And then she's like, and when you do do it, do not forget me. <laughs> <laughs> I just laughed, right? And then I get home and I'm buzzing. I'm like, is she, is she right? Like, could this be it? Yeah. So I went online and I'm looking for Perth, places in Perth to do it and get this bill. I see seven, ni- uh, seven weeks in Sydney. Australian stand-up school of comedy or seven nights in Melbourne. I called my boss. I was like, hey, can I take like 10 days off? She goes, Joe, you've had this relationship breakup. We've had meetings with you to make sure you're okay. If you need time off, you need to take it. Yeah. I want you to take time off. I was like, okay, thank you so much. Hanged up. Called. Uh, Your English at this point is 
great at this point. My English? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was a banker. Yeah, yeah. So my English is, I've worked on it for years, you know. Um, when we came here, I, was, I vowed to like speak as, yeah. as good as I can. Yeah. And so um, every day I try to teach myself big words, and this is where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, thank you. It's not as good as yours, <laughs> you know, because yours is like um, it's got so privilege you, on top so of you it. You got the, you got the. Oh, yeah. my privilege is sweet. Right. So you got the you got the t- time off. Mm. And you what took a bus or how did you get to Melbourne? You can't take a bus. Oh, you can, but you don't want to. It's too long. Um, so I saw. So I said, okay, I'll call the school, Australian stand-up school of comedy. His name was Dante. He's African-American. He's gigged with Chappelle. Yeah. And he's like, you want to you wanna do the course? I'm like, yeah, I do. He's like, well, you want to come all the way from Perth, Australia? This is my American accent. All the way from Perth, Australia? <laughs> I was like, uh, from Perth to Melbourne to Melbourne to do the course? I was like, yeah, I do. I'm like, why is this weird? <laughs> he goes, oh, okay. Okay. Um, how do you want to pay? I was like, I've got a credit card. I was banking, so I was loaded, you know? Yeah. And he goes, you want to pay right now? He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, I'll call you back because there's this one guy. He might he might not um, do the course. Let me call him and check. I was like, all right. So he calls me back. He goes, yeah, the guy's. I'm gonna, just going to give it to you if you want it. There's only one spot left. I said, like, he's like, you got to pay now. I was like, yeah, take my credit card details. Booked my flights. <laughs> Went to Melbourne the next day. The next day. Right. And I'm writing stuff on the way there about my plane experience. Then we get there. I'm the only black guy. He's the black instructor. And I was like, this is beautiful. This is match made in COVID. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Match made in heaven, I should say. And so then we start talking and he's teaching me. He's telling me not to swear when I write if I want to be on TV. Otherwise, I'm going to be performing in bars my whole life. And I was like, yeah, I want to be on TV. Tell me about it. You should have taken that class. <laughs> no, <don't go. laughs> you can still take it. <laughs> um, and so he's he's teaching me. He gets us up in front of each other. We perform, and I was like the high performing one in the class. Yeah. And then he gives me a list of where the gigs are in Perth. I go back. I will suss the gig out for three months in Perth, and then I do my first five minute. I get three applause break. Wow. Yeah. And then, how, how, what was the audience? Was it like a big audience? Was sixty like, a room of sixty people? It's pretty big. Yeah, yeah. I get sure. off and people. That like, must have been the fucking best feeling. Ah, uh, Bill, man, I had. Remember the kid that you saw performing? You're seeing a kid performing. Yeah. But the background stuff that I was carrying, the breakup, mm-hmm. the going, th- um, now finding this new path. Mm-hmm. Um, is it is it true? Is this my lifeline? Yeah. So uh, there has to be something because I, I hate everything about my life at the moment. And then I got up, smashed this new validation that I got from the crowd from something I created. People coming up to me and going, "Man, you're really good. You are the best. Oh, you're going places." My like maybe I had ten mates in the crowd, and my 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 mate was like, "Bro, you're going places. That was amazing, right?" And they all say that to you, and you go, "Oh, thanks." Not man. always. Yeah. I don't think so. I, I think, I think sometimes your mates are the the, the hardest to give it up. Okay, but good. Keep keep trying. Yeah, keep <laughs> yeah. They were like just blown away, and I was blown away that they were blown away. Yeah. I was so nervous, and then I'm driving home. I pull over because I was just emotional, man. Yeah, I was just crying. I was banging the steering wheel. I'm like, I'm I'm alive. This is it, you know. Yeah, we probably pulled over, ran over a kangaroo. Let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I pulled over because um, the car broke down. <laughs> And you were like, crying, you were just like, fuck, you're like, and then you, did you make the decision then, like, this is what I'm going to fucking do? I'm like, this is it. This is my calling. That lady was right. 
how the hell did she work out I was going to be this good? I'm amazing. I'm ready for arenas. <laughs> I was ready to do arenas the next day, Bill. The Perth comedy scene did not like that idea. <laughs> they wanted me to eat shit for a while. Yeah, of course. Uh, of course. So then I just went off, man, produced my own shows. I just took the professional banking behavior yeah. and, and mixed it with the comedy. And so I'll do banking uh, for like two years. I'll do banking and then at night after banking, I'll go do a gig. I'll come home, I'll write, practice, and then I'll go to bed, get up like 5 a.m., go to banking, then go to a gig, uh, then drive comics around, network a bit more, then go home uh, and work on a show. Yeah, and I love Trevor Noah. My friend sent it to me, and she's like, "You should watch this guy; he's incredible." And I watched Trevor Noah, and I went, "This is me. This is yeah. what I want. This is yeah. how I want to do it." And so, you know, when you first start, you have someone you imitate. So, Always. Yeah, my style was Trevor Noah. I get compared to him a so lot. You'd wear the suit, and you were. I wore the suit already. Clean, and you. I was clean. My stories were of my African upbringings, my uh, traditional African mom, and my observation of Australian life, and people loved it. They yeah. were drawn to it. I did a uh, Fringe Festival, sold out like four shows at 120 seater each. I got nominated for a Best Comedy Award. Um, mm. People were just like, where did he come from? Because I didn't do the normal open mic scene. I only just started doing it. And you started producing your own shows? Yeah, producing my own shows and just going for it. Yeah. My first show, my first 45 minutes was six months into stand-up comedy. Wow. Yeah. And I was sitting in the car for three hours, and I didn't know it's been three hours because I was so nervous. Yeah, I couldn't pull out. I was looking at flights out of Perth. <laughs> I was going, well, made a mistake, and then I was like, again, personal development kicked in. It's like it's just nerves. Yeah, get on stage, do what you've been practicing every night for like a whole month. I did my forty-five minute set. Yeah, every night. One of my best mates used to be like, come over and perform in front of me yeah. and I'll heckle you and then we'll practice that way. So I used to perform my bits. He will heckle, I'll give it back, continue performing. And we did this every night. Wow. 10 p.m. I'll be like, can I come over now? He'll go, fuck, I'm so <laughs> tired, but come over. Yeah. And I'll go over and I'll do it. And he'll heckle me and I'll say, thanks, bro. And then two years in, I went downstairs, bought a one-way ticket to Canada Handed in my resignation and I said, I'm leaving the bank. Went to Canada for six months doing shows. Produced my own shows. Did you have a connection in Canada? No, I just showed up. You showed up? And just went, I'll do exactly what I did in Australia, in Canada. Yeah. I booked the theater, Theater uh, St. Catherine. I made sure the show was selling during JFL, but it was just after JFL. And so what happened was JFL had the New York Post come down and do a story um, do a story on the shows that are happening in Theatre St. Catherine. And then they picked my show up. Wow. Yeah, and they said Ethiopian dubbed Australia's answer to Trevor Noah. So I was on the New York Post. Oh. Yeah. That's amazing. With that quote. So I use that quote on my posters now. Absolutely. And then I, I fly it around Canada. And I, after the gigs, I'll fly and tell people to come to my show. Um, I organize a photographer. I organize an opening act. I reached out to expats living in Canada, in Montreal. I reached out to Australian AFL sports expats playing it yeah. in Canada. And I said, guys, I'm one of you. I'm here. I've got a story about you know Australia. Come down. So many came down. Like 30 of them came down. Oh, wow. um, the show had about 80 people there. And uh, I used to leave my apartment in Montreal at like 1 a.m. in the morning to go and put posters around town because if people saw you doing your own posters, they'll go, you ain't shit. I'm not coming. <laughs> You know, it's all about perception in this yeah, industry. Yeah, of course. So I didn't 
like I used to do it at like 1 a.m. I'd go out and I'd just hustle, man. Yeah. I was I was nice to everyone, you know. Yeah. I never felt that when a comic got something good happened to them, I never felt that they took what's mine. Sure. I always went, that's his, I'm happy for him, I can't wait for mine. Yeah. You know, and I helped comic get theirs and I continued focused on getting mine. And in doing so, good things come to come my way. Yeah. Random people like yourself, for example, are having me on your podcast. Like, I didn't, you know, I didn't ask you to. You asked me, and we met because of that nature that I have. Yeah, that giving. Yeah, nature. How, how did we meet again? We, you, well, because you, you were you were connected to Maz Jabrani mm. first, right? Yeah. How did you get connected to Maz? Um, you just reach out to him. So I think I was a year in to stand up comedy, and I was just hustling, man. And when I was in banking, there was this girl. She was Persian. Her name was Chanel, and she goes. Oh, John, you should open up for Maz Jobrani. I was like, who's that? And she goes, he's an Iranian comedian. I went, oh, let me check him out. This is in banking, 7 p.m. at night. We're yeah. putting uh, applications through for lending. <laughs> but then we're on YouTube and we're watching Maz and we're like, fuck, he's really good. And yeah. she's like, yeah, I, like, I can't open for him. He's too big. He's not, he's not even going to respond to me, you know? And she's like, you should try, Joe. You should try. I'm yeah. like, how do I try? And she's like, call the promoter. He's like, yeah, Mars won't respond. He's too big. Call the promoter. I was like, okay. Then I called the promoter. No answer. So I went, I'll, I'll message Mars. But uh, in personal development, uh, you learned to never just ask for things. You know? No one owes you shit. Yeah. You have to provide value. You know? If you want to be successful, what do you have to do is become a person of value. Yeah. Right? Instead of chasing success. So I'm like, okay, cool. How do I offer Mars value? I said, Mars, all I want is five minutes on your stage, and I'll I'll sell a hundred tickets for your show. Wow! And Mars goes, you want to sell a hundred tickets for my show? <laughs> I was like, hell yeah, man! I'm like a big, big superstar in Perth. I wasn't. <laughs> but how's Mars gonna know? You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> he's not from Perth. <laughs> all Mars cares is a hundred tickets are sold. Yeah, and I went, you know what? I'm a man of my word, Mars. We'll get this done. And Mars goes, all right, l- let me. Uh, Speak to uh, the promoter, Ali, and I'll get back to you. I said, no worries. I didn't hear from them. And then I said, Chanel, it's not happening. She goes, Joe, you have to chase them up again. I went, nah, don't worry about it. It's not going to work. And she went, call Ali again. And then I called Ali and he's like, he picked up 7 p.m. at night. I'm like, I'm not going to call him. She's like, he's Persian. They're always working. Just call him. <laughs> I was like, all right, fine. So I called him. I said, hey, um, I'm a comic in Perth. I'm also a banker. To let him know I have a serious side, you know? <laughs> And I said, uh, I want to open for Mars. I spoke to Mars and I think uh, like I can sell 100 tickets for you guys. He's like, you can sell 100 <laughs> tickets for us? I think their tickets were like 50 bucks, 60 bucks. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I can sell 100 tickets. I didn't know how. But I just wanted five minutes on their stage. Yeah. And uh, Ali goes, how do you want to do an exchange of 100 tickets? So, well, I'll get the 100 tickets off you and I'll sell them. And he goes, what about the money? I said, I'll pay you the money and then I'll go sell them and take the money. So that way the deal's done and you don't have to worry. Exactly. And he goes, okay, I'll come to you then. I said, okay. He comes to me and he goes, he's like, hey, Joe, how are you? I was like, yeah, good. Is you? It's like a drug deal outside the bank, you know. He gives me 100 tickets and I go online banking transfer and transfer like 5.5K into wow. his account. You know, that's how much I invest in myself. That's how much belief I had. Yeah. And I'll make something of it. And so 
He's like, okay, good luck. I said, yeah. He's like, keep me updated. Ali is very lovely. He's like, keep me updated. I said, okay. You know, I called my friends, called everyone I knew. I was like, please. <laughs> I need to you get my help money it. back. I called everyone. You know, I, I, I went hard to sell it. Ended up selling maybe about like 50 of them. Yeah. The rest I just had to give out. I said, please come to the show. We don't want empty seats. Please yeah. come to the show. Please come to the show. And then uh, Mars goes, so this is your hometown? I was like, yeah. He goes, all right, cool. And we did the show, and there was people everywhere in Perth. Second show, there was... This was in the same tour that I was on with Mars, was nah. it? This is before, yeah. This okay. is before, yeah. So we did the Perth show. But then uh, Mars goes to me, so inst- no, Ali goes, instead of five minutes, do you want to do 15 minutes? As a comic to get more stage time? I was like, okay, oh. yeah. I go, yeah, I would love that. He goes, okay, okay. You do 15 minutes. I was like, all right. He goes, it's because we're doing two shows, do you want to do 15 minutes in two shows? I was like, yeah, I would love to do 15. <laughs> Remember, I went in for five minutes. <laughs> okay, yeah, I would love to do 15 minutes. Yeah. But I'm like, these guys are getting ripped off. They don't even know it. <laughs> and he's like, all right, cool. So then they go, Ali goes, wow, you sold all the tickets? I said, yeah, done, man. Ready to go, you know? And I'm like, I got to get rid of at least 40. <laughs> But how would they know? I got time, you know? Yeah, as yeah. long as there's bums on seats. Yeah. And then they go, Ali goes, oh, we're doing like Adelaide and Sydney and Melbourne. Do you want to come with us and do them as well? I go, yeah, I would love to do them. And he's like, all right. So I was like, where do we start? He's like, Adelaide. I said, oh, cool. So me and Ali, we fly to Adelaide. And then I'm sitting in the green room with my suit. I'm like a year in, Bill. <laughs> and I look over, there's like 800 Persians at Adelaide Town Hall. Maz yeah. comes in in his suit. Hey, Joe, how are you? Well, nice to meet you, Maz yeah. Dobrani. And I was like, hey, Maz, how are you? Nice to meet you, Maz. Yeah. And he goes, so, Joe, uh, you've done a room. Like, how long have you been doing comedy? I was like, oh, a couple of years, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he goes, oh, you've done rooms like this before? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In my head, I'm going, we're about to find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, just have fun. You'll be all right. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. Um, but I could tell Mars was a little bit nervous for me as well. Because <laughs> you were probably nervous, so you could see. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was shitting my pants, man. But what's done is done. Now it's time to find out. And that was the first show. It wasn't my hometown. It was Adelaide. Adelaide. So 800 people. 800 in people. In a theater, yeah. I got the pictures and he was like, give it up for Joe White. And then I went. And I just did my set. And it yeah. just smashed. Wow. Right? And Mars is like giving me thumbs up and shit and and he was I could see him and Ali peeking uh, through the curtains and so I'm like oh this is going great I'm like, oh thank god I'm not dying you know? I finished and then I introduced Mars and then I went backstage and Ali's like that was really good Mars said you were doing really well I was like oh thank god Mars doesn't think I'm shit yeah I was like thank god I didn't ruin his show and then they took me out the Persians and Mars was too tired so he went home uh, I went out with like 30 Persians to a restaurant <laughs> And they're like, can you do more jokes? I'm like, I've got plenty. <laughs> and so I just did like more material at the table. And then uh, I was in love, man. And they loved me. I was like, yeah. this is amazing. Then we flew ba- I flew back to Perth. Uh, and then in Perth, we did two shows. Then we went to, um, I think we went to Sydney. And, and, and moving forward, you didn't have to keep selling tickets. Now, you're, are you just getting paid? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I did um, like... Um, I did Brisbane, uh, and that was amazing. And then me and Ali, when Mars left, me and Ali became friends because yeah. we're both from Perth. We caught up for shishas and stuff. 
Uh, and then he said, oh, I'm bringing Max Amini. Do you want to open? I said, yeah, but I can't sell 100 tickets anymore, man. <laughs> and the last time nearly killed me. <laughs> and he just laughed, you know, because we became mates now. Yeah. And he goes, you don't have to sell. You just come and open. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So then I ended up touring with Max Amini. Wow. Right? And, we, and again, same thing, 15 minutes in front of this crowd around Australia. Then Max left. Uh, and me and Max became mates. Max left. And then me and Ali went back to Perth. We hanged out. We do shishas almost every night. We talk business. Um, and then Maz was coming back again. And Ali's like, oh, Maz is coming back. I said, yo, you got to get me on the tour. He's like, yeah. And then that's how I met you. Okay, so then I was on the, I was on the show. Yeah. Okay, got it. And it was in Sydney. It was in Sydney. It was our first and show. And Maz together. was like, oh, yeah, I've got an opening act. He'll, do, he'll go first and then you. Um, and then he had some interesting stories about you getting stuck somewhere or Oh, in Egypt. Yeah. Jesus Christ, yeah. So then I was like, wow, can't wait to meet this guy. He sounds like uh, <laughs> like someone who likes taking risks. <laughs> and then you looked exactly like how I pictured you. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's so funny. I was like, wow, he looks exactly like how I pictured him. Yeah. And then I got up, did my thing, and then you destroyed it. And then Mars got up, took it next level. And then we went to Melbourne and we did the eight-hour drive together. Yeah. Yeah. So that's and then when Mars left, Max came again, and then I toured with Max again. Oh, cool! And then me and Ali just became homies. So anytime now anyone comes, Ali just. What other uh, headliners have you worked with that that Ali's? Um, man, I used to just pop up at random Persian events right around Perth. So Ali would bring like musicians, and there'll be like a thousand people, and he'll go, "Joe, do you want to MC and bring him on?" I'll be like, "Yeah." So I'll get out. I'll be like, "Hello, that's ladies awesome. and gents," and they'll be like, "Why is there an African kid talking to us?" <laughs> <laughs> it's not comedy But I'll try to do some jokes Yeah And then when I realize They're not here for comedy I'll be like Are you ready to party? Yeah <laughs> And then I'll bring on Sassy mm-hmm. oh, He's really good Sassy um, But yeah That's how my uh, My relationship with Mars Max nice. And Ali Came about And man uh, Max and Mini, Like especially in, in LA You know how it is Coming to LA A city this big I don't know anyone here You're out of town um, I think Mars is doing a UK tour. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I don't know anyone here. And so Max invited me to the club. He's introducing me to everyone, telling people that I'm funny. He's getting me opportunities. And, you know, says goodbye, gives me hugs. Dude's just, he's a legend in my book now. Yeah, right? for yeah. sure, man. Good guy. Just a lovely guy. And everyone loves him, you know? Yeah, of course. Even in Australia, when we were touring together, his whole vibe is just like Very just positive. exuding love, you know? Yeah, yeah. Even when he performs, it's like, you know, the Teletubbies when they shoot love from their chest? <laughs> I feel like he's doing that the to care his bears. crowd. Yeah, yeah. They care, we call them Care Bears. We call them Teletubbies in, oh, okay, in yeah. Australia. Yeah. And it's like, ta-da! And then love shoots, the rainbow love shoots out of their chest. Yeah, yeah. I feel like when Mars is performing, no, Max is performing, yeah. he does that to the crowd. <laughs> oh, wow. And then with Maz, I met his family. They're so lovely. Yeah, Yo, his kids, so great, super well behaved, so well behaved, so great. I always yeah. tell uh, Mars and his wife um, when I was touring with them that when I have kids, I'm going to give it to them to raise it. <laughs> There's no yeah, way I can do man, what they do. Sure. Yeah. Wow. So now, uh, so you've been doing comedy for how long now? Uh, almost nine years now. Almost nine years. Yeah. So still fairly new, you know. Yeah. Um, and now you have, you're established all over Australia, I'm yeah. sure, and you have like a fan base. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And do you have your own headlining tour that you get to do in Australia? Do you get to go around headlining? Yeah, yeah. So I do. Um, my festival tour starts uh, mid-Jan. And yeah. it finishes. Um, so this year started mid-Jan, and it, I did 1,400 tickets in Perth in one month. Nice. Um, and it finished in Sydney on in March, April, in May. So it goes from mid-Jan to like mid-May. Yeah. And then I came here. Yeah. And then I'm here now for about three months, and then I head back to Perth okay. for an, uh, a tour, like an 11. I've got 10 shows lined up, and then after that, I'm based in Perth working on my new show, which will be a lot about my adventures in America. And yeah. Are you working on a special? Like, is it like a special you're trying to sell? Or? Um, I filmed one when I was in Perth at um, Dolphin Theatre, and... Uh, you know when you film it, you just go, nah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so I had one of those moments. So I just chop it up and put it online. <laughs> of course. But Which um, is what yeah. people are doing anyway now, yeah. Which is, what, yeah, to go viral online, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of my crowd is mainly uh, white Australians, middle-aged white Australians. I guess maybe they're attracted to the name Joe White, you know? <laughs> but there's bugger all Ethiopians at the show. Yeah, of course. I don't know. It's because of the marketing or they just don't know I'm around. <laughs> and so recently I've had two videos go viral on TikTok in Ethiopia. Oh, wow. And so I've been getting a lot of Ethiopian followings, which is great. So you do your set in Ethiopian? No, no. I do it in English. Oh, in English. Okay. Because yeah, there's people in Ethiopia who speak English as okay, well. Okay, okay, okay. And in the UK and around the world. And it got viral on TikTok. Yeah, so it's That's got like 200 and... I think at the moment, 47K views or something. Nice, man. Yeah. Yeah. And then another video just got 150K views. Um, and a lot of them are Ethiopians. Yeah. And a lot of them are in D.C., Washington, D.C. You should... Um, have you thought about doing a one-person show? I know yeah. it's a little bit different. What's a one-person show? Well, a one-person show, it's different than like an hour set, right? Because an hour set is... There's almost like a rule, like you have to have a laugh every 10 seconds, right? Like, yeah. boop, punch on, boop, boop. But a, a, a one-person show is more like, it's more autobiographical, more personal. Mm. You can have just long stories without laughs. But you're a comic, so the laughs will come out. But they're kind of, um, it's like a nice meld for people who are comics who also have like really heavy, deep personal shit to share mm. that just doesn't quite, do the same and you can't really do it in stand-up comedy form. You know what I mean? Um, but a lot of comics in America have really blown, and, and UK as well, have really blown up from doing that. Like Sarah Silverman had a one-woman show that was off-Broadway, made her big. Mike Birbiglia, Sleepwalk With Me, which ended up being a movie. And they uh, call it one-woman show? One they call it one-person show, a one-man show. And they basically, Con Quinn, that's how he, he had one off-Broadway then went to Broadway. And you get a director and they, and, and they, and they, you know, you can get a lot more personal because it's hard. I mean, I know you, you in your standup, you make it personal, but it's hard to get to some of the really personal shit like you're sharing today mm-hmm. and make it like a joke. Yeah. Like some of the shit, like, I'm just going to be fine. How do I make a joke about this? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's so fucking dark. But because your story is so friggin' unique and so interesting, I think it's a good, uh, another thing to think about. It doesn't go against your standup, it's just another way of of maybe um, fleshing out like who you are as a performer, like having a, a, a one person show, you know, same thing. you just, you get a director to direct you who knows how knows theater 
and you tell stories. You can do different characters, and there's there's you have to re- you have to craft it in such a way that tells your story. They're kind of but like a lot of people, and I've always like flirted with like, oh, I should do that. I never do it, of course. But um, why? Because it's not funny, and you're trying to no, get me I, to do no, it. I, no. I, I guess for me, partly is because I was like, what? I don't know exactly what. I don't have a story like yours where I'm like, like, I'm here now in front of you people. What do you mean by you people? Unbelievable. (laughs) Like, there's, there should be 0% chance of me being here, but I'm here. And here's my story. Me, it's like, I was a white kid with white privilege, Mm. you know, drunk mom and shit like that. But at the end of the day, I don't have anything close to what what you had to overcome in order to get your success. And I think that, um, and I've seen you perform enough to know you're, you're very put together, you're very polished, you're very funny, very charming. Um, but some of the dark shit, you know, and some stuff that you're working on therapy, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, there's a, there's a way to, 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 it's something to think about. I'm just planting a seed. Yeah, no, I'm the definitely planting um, a seed. Cause you know, also things like Edinburgh fringe festival, right? Yeah. Like they they have one person shows at Edinburgh too as well, you know, where it doesn't quite, it's not so stand up heavy. You can really take your time with stories without, they don't have to end with like a, a bam punchline. Mm. They can end and then you're in a new scene and a new situation. Um, I'll, I'll send you to, you know, it's a good example of, of a, of a good meld of that. Mm. Do you like Gerard Carmichael? Who? Gerard Carmichael. Gerard uh, Carmichael. He has a special called Rothaniel on HBO Max. You should, you should check out. Okay. But basically, he comes out of the closet in it, and he talks about his his crazy upbringing. And the whole theme is like secrets. Like my whole life is about secrets. Mm. His name, his middle name is Gerard. His first name is Rothaniel, but he he hated the name, so he like pretended it wasn't his real name. He called himself Gerard. Yeah. And then um, and then he at one point talks about you know coming out as gay in a, in a like a black kind of machismo family structure, mm. and um. It's it's fucking amazing, and it's a one man show. It's it, it's a, it's a comedy special, but I feel like the way comedy specials are, the ones that I feel that are really getting traction are the ones that are kind of this weird hybrid where they don't really rely on big, like applause breaks and you know just it's it's quiet, it's slow, it's intimate. Mm. Um, he sits on a chair, he talks to people. People go. Ask questions like, "How's your mom doing? How's she doing?" You know, it's 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 fascinating. It's a fascinating. I just think there 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 are few people who have such big stories that no matter what you say on stage as a stand up comic is never going to be big enough to tell your story. Yeah, you know what I mean, or deep enough. Yeah. So you'll have to try to make it funny, and it takes away the truth. Of course, oh, and everything, right? And everything you do, you kind of like. I like whenever I try to tell stories that I that are. Mm, I try to tell my story about being arrested in, in Egypt, and stand up comedy, and it's hard because you're constantly looking for like what's the act out, what's the funny line, what's mm-hmm. the reversal, what's the thing. But it's really just like forty eight fucking hours of being detained, <laughs> thinking I was going to be fucking killed mm. by the Muslim Brotherhood, mm. um, which isn't going to be a great stand up bit. You know what I mean? Unless I really, really figure out how to craft it. So, yeah. I guess my point is, I, th- I, th- I think that's just something to think about. It's another another avenue of expression that would yeah. work in hand in hand with your. And like I said, Sarah Silverman. That's how she got big. That's how Michael Bigley, Colin Quinn, 
that one person shows and they're funny because yeah. they're comics, but that wasn't the gist. It's, it's different than like a stand-up special, you know, because there's, there's a director and there's, there's like scene changes and there's stuff like that. You know, I don't know. It's an interesting thing to think about. I've always, I've always I've, wanted to find a way to tell the story, you know, to tell the dark stories as well. Well, there it is. But yeah, this this is definitely a way. You just the, what you the one thing you need. You need yeah. a theater director. You need a theater director, and you need someone who who is young and hungry. Maybe someone from a a, a theater school in Perth mm. who wants to do something, and maybe you could even commission them. I don't, I don't know how much how well you're doing financially, well, but right, um, I'm but something you could you to know afford a trailer. <laughs> pay him enough to be like um hey man i you want to be a theater director i want to do one man show i want to tell i want to tell the the dark side of my story that i never really get to talk about on stage and sort of how you were able to kind of create your career from literally nothing mm-hmm. you know and as a testament to your mom as well you know yeah mom's incredible how's your mom doing now Oh, she's good, man. She's yeah. good. She just sent me a voice message going, I miss you. I will pray for you. Uh, did I meet you. your mom when I was there? Uh, I don't think I did. Did you do Perth? You didn't do Perth, did you? I, I, I think I missed one of those shows, yeah. Max is meta. Every time I say, um, like she refers to Max, she goes, she calls him Zataman. <laughs> are you are you gonna see this at man? Um, I know it's Max. I go, yeah, I'm gonna see Max. <laughs> yeah. She goes, okay. Oh, <laughs> Is he so nice? Great. I say, yeah, he's been good to me. And now, and you say you've been doing therapy too, yeah? Huh? You've been doing therapy as well. Comedy is therapy, isn't it? Oh, well, yes and no. <laughs> but have you done just regular <laughs> therapy at no, all? I haven't. Oh, you haven't. Interesting. Yeah. I feel selfish. Well, I think I, I want to be able to afford it for everyone, not just myself. I get that, but also. F- Focus on yourself, but but because you can also get good bits from therapy. A lot of comics they go to therapy and they're like, "Oh my god, I can't, I, I got the best bit after going to therapy." Yeah, that's because I guess you're delving through the full story, are you? Yeah. Even talking to you like this, I mean, I've walked away going, "Oh, I can do something with that story." Dude, you know, I mean, it's fucking. I, you know, the, I've had so many people in my podcast, and there's a few people that I'm just like. I, one, this one guy, Eric, you know the N word video, obviously. Yeah, I did. So the guy in the middle, the guy who's saying, you yeah, know, the big guy. Um, and he's it's funny because he's not that big, but he is a fucking stone cold killer. So he, oh, his he? his energy is like when I did that sketch with him, I was like, he's killed someone before. Mm. Like that energy, you can't fake. You know what I mean? He, he's like a badass, but he's the nicest fucking guy. And we became friends, and his stories, you know, he ran a fucking drug cartel. In uh, America? And it started in Compton, and he spread it out all through fucking America, and he became like a multimillionaire running all these different drugs on from different states. Because mm. he was like, wait, why, why aren't we selling to white people? We're just selling to our neighborhood. Fuck this. So I'm going to take the crack. I'm going to take cocaine. I'm going to sell everywhere. And he, be- and he like, was running a fucking cartel, and then his two-year-old son died. Oh, fuck. And he ended up getting caught in a sting operation. Went to jail. Met a woman who became his his wife, and he and he decided to live with her and marry her. And he was working doors and and wanted to, um, you know, disrespected, being spit on. When white girls like doors. fuck you, fucking you're not gonna let me in. Fuck you, my dad and whatever the fuck it is, getting spit on, throw drinks on him. He's like, fuck this. And he saw, he's in New Orleans, he saw people like running drugs. He's like, man, I could take over this, I could take over these streets. Yeah. 
He said, I think I'm going to go get my, get my, get, I'm going to start over again. And so he was on his way to, to go to the airport and he's heard on the radio, open mic for blah, 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 blah. And he's like, I'm just going to go to this open mic. Boom. That's Instead how it all started. Instead of going to the airport. Instead of going to the airport and getting his uh, drugs. Yeah. And and he did so well, the open mic, yeah. that like Russell Simmons saw him and was like, you, I like you, man. I want you to work for Def Jam. So it was like, bam, just like that. What? Just that crazy one moment. And that was, I was like, God, I would love to write this story. It's meant to be. Of this guy who, who and now he's like married, four kids. He's a fucking, as a homie. But, um, so that's an example. And like in your story, I, I just like, nobody knows, man. Nobody knows. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I've, I've talked to you before about this but even now it's like blows my fucking mind what you went through your mom and the power of your mom mm-hmm. and your family it's just like it's it's worth looking into you know what i mean and and it's a story that i think people i think people want to hear because people want to hear any story where someone people always feel victimized right and so sometimes when you have a true victim a true victim in life who's like really got the shit in the stick and yeah. then has come out on top. There's nothing more inspiring. There's nothing more humbling. There's nothing more entertaining and just the redemption of it. You know what I mean? So I think, man, I don't know. I just think it's, it's, I'll be like the second psychic in your life. I told you to fucking try something. But yeah. No, I, um, I appreciate the honesty, the feedback, the ideas, um, and you're definitely making me think, and that is that is definitely something I would like to explore, because I think, like, I want to tell the full story, you know. I yeah. don't want to just because when I'm when I'm doing stand up and I'm being funny, I'm uh, changing a lot of it to make it funny. Of course. And uh, I want to try to keep it, keep the truth. But then, when I tell you what happened, riff on that truth, and that's where the laugh is. Yeah. So yeah. I want to do that. Yeah. Anyway, I think a one-man show is great for that. So that'd be fucking amazing. It'd be, hey, listen, we've been here for a long time. <laughs> I see you're yawning. It's late as fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what time is it? It's late. Um, so let's wrap this up. But listen, man, uh, where can people find you on the social medias? Um, so Joe White underscore official is my Instagram and TikTok handle, <laughs> and uh, Joe White comedy on Facebook, and then just Google JoeWhiteComedian dot com. Yeah. And then my website will come up. He's a great guy, great comic. Follow him, guys. I hope you enjoy this story. All right. Bye bye.